I left a note on Laura's desk. It said, I love you, signed anonymous friend. Turns out she's smarter than I thought she was. She knows I wrote it, now the whole class does too. And I'm all alone during couples skate. When she skates by with some guys. In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the, the home Starmy proudly presents TrekQuest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for TrekQuest 5 are Joey and Peter. <laughs> you really want that going out? <laughs> Look, I'm just right. throwing some right. beats down. We're going to see what, uh, what comes through. Throw things see what sticks. Yeah. Oh, you bet. You bet. Put it on the porch. Here you go. Let's see what we're rolling up. here. We're moving. Let's do another one. Run How we go? Run flag pole. See who salutes it. Good afternoon and welcome to podcast movie special Stargate. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Um... It had. Did, I meant to go and look this up. I have no idea when we last recorded. Yeah, if you excuse the one time we did in the middle, I think we missed three months. Yeah, probably. It feels that way. Uh, yeah. So for everybody's reference, we did record a us playing the Battlestar Galactica board game. Uh, we got a bunch of friends together. Uh, listener M, listener Fishhead, uh, Fishhead's uh, son. Uh, my friend John Madsen, two of us. It was a lot of fun. It really was. enjoyed it. We recorded it. Um, the intern hasn't bothered to do anything about it yet. Nope. I, I don't know what that guy's doing. He's listened to, I think he said, 10 minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's got a ways to go. Because it was a lot of fun. We uh, we recorded for five hours, yep. at least, it felt like. Um, and, uh, yeah, so plan is to put that out there uh but uh, life has has taken us in many 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 <laughs> different directions i uh i i want to uh let's see here pull out the uh, the ipad here because there's a couple of uh oh uh, we have emails, some emails fantastic uh, that, uh, that people sent in uh no i don't want to go up to ios 8 thank you um let's see here mail um yeah because a few people uh like John Leindeck, uh, Lecker, he sent in an email, like, months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, hey guys, I was just wondering when your summer break would be over. (laughs) Um, And that was in August. That was in August, so nearly two months ago. Um, Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Again, sorry. Um, Mark uh, said... Hey, the podcast is back. Whatever happened to the Battlestar Galactica board game recording? My guess is that it turned out to be five minutes of good material, so you decided to scrap the whole thing. <laughs> I think there's actually quite a bit of good material in there. We I had think a lot there of fun. is, too. I think there is loads of good material. Um, okay, from JD. Trek West 5 isn't dead? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, we're not dead. Still here. Uh, uh, Brainy says, yay for everyone. <laughs> uh, let's see here. A couple of other short ones. No, that's going to be there, there. Okay. Uh, good. So there are more emails to come. We'll, we'll get into them as, uh, as time permits or where they're appropriate. 
Um, anything you want to say about it? I mean, I, I, we should give some explanation as to why. I'll let you start. During that time, I'm going to go to the, uh, uh, the website. Um, actually, no. Maybe I could do this from this last email um, to determine when we last recorded. Uh, looks like June 20... No. 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 June 26, I sent out an email saying, hey, we're going to record this on this Friday. And then I sent out another email a couple of days later. <laughs> saying, yeah, nope. sorry about that, everyone. Uh, not going to be recording. So anyway, you talk about why we didn't record or why what was going on with you. <laughs> oh. Because there's a few things. There's a few things, you know. I was, was going to say, I, I can talk about why we didn't record. I can tell you the reason I gave my wife, but that's not my reasons. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let's just go with uh, it. With, because there were a lot of things that were happening. Um, and... Yeah. You know, we, we should, uh, people might be interested. Well, I, I used a lot of those in my top five list. Oh, so I did don't you? Want to talk okay. About well, them yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. If you don't want to do that, that's totally cool. Um, let's see here. According to this, Podcast 191 was put out July 21st. Uh, but before that, Podcast 190 was May 25th. Yeah. Now, I, I do remember that somebody, was it Listener M that posted on the Facebook page asking if we're ever going to come back from a hiatus? Yeah, I think it was probably him. Because I, I remember my reaction seeing that was, I didn't realize we were allowed a hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> we, Sorry, my bad. I should have told In the you. past, we've almost killed ourselves <laughs> to record. <laughs> it's great that we're old men now and we no longer do things like that. <laughs> that's great that's great um yeah so work was a huge thing yeah the month of june and the month of july were just terrible for you uh there was some responsibilities about moving some websites live for the the stanford teams um on top of that there was a couple of my projects that were you know hot and heavy um anyway you were slammed yeah August came around. You and I were both slammed. <laughs> um, again, we'll, that that actually makes part of my list. Okay. Um, and I, I would say the vast majority of it was work. And then there was some family stuff. Yep. There's definitely some family stuff on my end. I think a few family yeah. bits on your end. I had family stay with me for like a week and a half solid. That was awesome when they left. Um, I mean, that was awesome for them to be here and visit with me. Um, and then my brother was here like a, a week, week or ago, so yeah. ago. Um, so yeah, a lot of things got in the way, but I think we're, we're out of the woods. Yeah. It, it seems like things it, are going to lighten up at work here. We don't have a lot of projects finishing up for a while here. Yeah. And it's the finishing prod. That's where it kills that, me. Yeah, yeah, that is that we rely so heavily on you because, because uh, of the infrastructure stuff. Um, and mine are just going to be like in the middle of doing stuff. So it's just like, okay, day to day sort of thing. Nothing big, nothing crazy. Um, and I don't have any family plans. Um, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can get back into a cadence. As I mentioned before, we are going to go and do breaking bad. Yes. So definitely get prepared for that. Um, I think we may do four episodes. Okay. Haven't talked this through with Joey yet, but it's possible we may do four episodes rather than the two that we were doing with Battlestar Galactica. I think I can handle that. All depends on how, how we want to do that. Um, so I don't know. 
we'll, we'll figure that out as, as time goes on. Um, let's see here. Do, uh, what else do we need to talk about? I think any I think other we can move on to stuff? top five. Well, let's do Facebook find of the week. Okay. Uh, which is going to go to, to Brainy, who was the only one really posting anything, uh, which thank you. But I don't know if you saw this. Um, no. There was uh, his most recent post was the poem that Tolkien wrote. Oh, okay. I saw this somewhere else. <clears throat> and it uh, it was sort of the thing that kicked off. The Hobbit and the Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, all of the, the mythology uh, of that. Um, and so it was interesting for me to be able to read through that. Um, I thought, I think I had known that he fought in the Battle of the Somme, uh, which is one of the most horrific battles I think the world has ever known. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, out of that and a lot of, you know, his background helped form what uh, what eventually would become the Lord of the Rings. So it was an interesting read for me. Definitely enjoyed it. So, Brainy, thank you very much for uh, for bringing that to our attention. That was good stuff. Um, top five. Top five. So we do, do you do you have? Hold on. I think you have an Adventures in Republican update. Oh, I do have an Adventures it in Republican update. kind of something update. big happened. Yep. I'm super, super excited <laughs> about this. I have resigned as the treasurer of the Utah County Republican Party. Resigned in disgrace. No. Um, he was he was funneling <laughs> money away and giving it to the Democratic Party. No, none of those are things. <laughs> <laughs> no, was, uh, with all the personal life stuff I had going on, I wasn't able to put the commitment of time into it that I felt the the responsibility needed. And so I went to them and said, you know, I'm going to be resigning. You guys need to find somebody to fill my spot. They found somebody that they were comfortable with as a team, you know, uh, bringing him in, appointing him to replace me. And and we did a transition. I continued for about another month to help that guy as we transitioned between the two of us. Because it was a month before a big uh, state report was due that I resigned. Right. And so I helped him get through that first report and then I just kind of have handed it off. I haven't heard from any of them in probably three weeks. Yeah. I- I'm pleased because I know the amount of stress and strain that it put on you in having to deal with some of the, the political yahoos uh, that are associated with it is... I-, I-, I just don't see what you got out of being a part of that organization. It, yeah. It, 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 it was... It was cool for Thankless. you to be able to see you know be a part of that world but it was I, I i just didn't like what it did to you yeah it was uh it was something where i felt a responsibility to try and help shepherd things going the right way but where all i was doing was basically the minimum amount to do my responsibility and with all this personal life stuff i had happening i just felt you know i i need to resign here and let somebody else step in who mm-hmm. has the time to dedicate to it now, if uh, if my voice sounds deeper, uh, it's because I've been coughing for the last two weeks because of all of the uh, construction that's been happening at mm. our office, um, and there have been clouds and clouds and clouds of sawdust uh, that has been floating around in the air. Yeah, Friday was the worst. It was really bad on Friday. I had about a quarter inch of dust piled up on my desk when I showed up on Friday. Uh, yeah, so... Anyway, enjoy what uh, whatever my voice is right now. Um, let's go to some emails because okay. we're going to do top five. 
And uh, the top five uh, that uh, that I sent in is top five things uh, that you did this summer. Okay. Kind of open it up. It's the you know the school year has started. That's the traditional thing you would write. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll start here with uh, listener M. Hey dudes, hopefully this message makes it in time for the recording this week. It did. Top five things about summer. Number five, being able to drive around in a convertible. Number four, long summer evenings. Number three, summer road trips. Number two, barbecues. And number one, Independence Day. So, it's a nice patriotic uh, man, yeah. our, our listener M. Good, uh, good to know that he loves America. Or Will Smith. <laughs> it's probably the movie. It's probably the movie. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to John Leindecker. Uh, Line John. It was just John. I always feel like I'm adding more to his name than I should be. Um, and I'm sorry, John. But maybe you should change your name to something... That Pete can pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Smith, I think. He's managed that one for a few years now. <laughs> anyway, hey guys. It's great to hear that you are finally done with your summer break. Um, yes, especially as fall is starting now. It's about time we get over summer. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to your wonderful podcast again, not to mention hearing about all of the interesting things you've been doing all summer or what has been happening with Adventures in Republican. <laughs> Top five. Number five. Worked, which can actually be interesting. Number four. Trained to run a marathon. Nice. I don't understand marathon runners. I don't understand you weirdos. I, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're doing it. It's impressive. But why do you just run? I, I can tell you why I do it or used to do it. <laughs> Haven't done it in a few years. <laughs> used to do it. I've run several oh, marathons, actually. Oh, that's so funny. Um, and it was to prove to myself that my body was that my mind was stronger than my body. That okay. when my body wanted to quit. My mind could say, nope, you're going to keep moving, right. and it would. And yes. it was just an exercise in willpower. Okay. All right. Anyway, back to John's list. Number three, went ATVing, which is something I've never done before. I've never been on an ATV. Kind of, They kind of spooked me a little bit. <laughs> not exactly the most stable of, of things, and they'll kill you. Did, did I not ever tell you about the ATV that my family owned? No, uh-uh. So my parents, I, I was born on my parents' 14th wedding anniversary. Uh -huh. And my dad, every once in a while, about I think about five times as I was growing up, would decide that he's going to purchase a gift for the family on their wedding anniversary plus my birthday. And it would, I'd be like, I'd be told, "Hey, happy birthday! Here's something for the whole family to enjoy." <laughs> uh, and sometimes that worked out okay for me as well. You know, the, the one time I remember the most was. <clears throat> Uh, a monster truck show when I was about six or seven years old. Ooh, we went and yeah. saw Bigfoot and all those yeah. monster trucks. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed the heck out of that. Even though it was everyone, you know, the whole family went. Yeah. Oh, it was all right. I still yep. enjoyed the heck out of myself. But uh, when I think when I was 14 or 15, dad bought an ATV and said, happy birthday, Joey. Here's an ATV for the whole family. Oh, and by the way, your brothers get to go first. <laughs> so... My dad took my youngest brother, Aaron, took him out and they, you know, she kind of showed him how to steer and things like that. Aaron was pretty young. I think he was, well, let's see, he's six years younger than I am. So he would have been eight years old. 
Uh, so Aaron obviously didn't get to drive it by himself, but he got to ride and dad showed him how all the things worked. And then they came back and then my brother, Matt takes it down and they said, okay, Matt, here's how all the pieces work. Now you're old enough. You can go drive it by yourself. Goes down and just wrecks the thing, Uh, breaks his leg, slams uh, it into a tree full speed. And I never actually got to ride it. (laughs) Maybe. That, that was saved it. your life. That was it for that ATV and, and my family and ATVs. That was the end. <laughs> That's great. Number two, went mountain biking. It's good. Number one, bought ski boots. <laughs> the snow is almost here. Uh, what have you decided to do for your next series review? Uh, again, that's, that's going to be Breaking Bad. Um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on Stargate. Also, I'll be in Salt Lake City on the 25th of October. Please let me know if you'd like to meet another listener. Um, yeah. If you read this letter on the podcast, you don't need to read this part. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, now all your stalkers know where you'll be on October 25th. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that would be fun. I have no idea what's going on since I clearly didn't proofread this email. <laughs> um, I think that would be fun to, yeah, be to fantastic. meet uh, another listener. That that might be nice. So we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Um, got about a month to, to figure that out, right? So maybe we'll get it figured out two days before he shows up. <laughs> yes. More likely is what will happen. Okay, listener Fishhead. Uh, Main activities since the last podcast, not numbered here. Family reunion at Eagle Point Ski Resort near Beaver, Utah. Um, Youth activity with special needs group. Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Park trip. Salt Lake Comic Con. Listen to read 30 books. Wow. That's impressive yeah um i just realized comic-con was not on my list it didn't make my list either <laughs> i can imagine it wouldn't make your list but uh, we should talk about this because you went to a comic-con i did you went to a comic convention yep i went to salt lake comic-con with and you guys you had a blast i had fun yeah i had fun yeah won't deny that um i was really super pleased I, I felt like I kind of drug you there. What was the first day you went? Was it Friday or was it Thursday? Thursday. It was yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Um, I kind of felt like it was sort of like, I'm here. I guess I'm going to do this. <laughs> but Friday and then even Saturday, you, you kind of had your own plan. You were yep. doing your own thing because I, I ended up ditching you because I my niece was there yeah. and so I wanted to hang out with her plus I had my own things I own uh interests uh, uh panels <laughs> panels that I wanted to go and and see so you know we were off in different places I really loved the fact that you on Saturday came back after the football game and came in and and participated in in whatever that was um <clears throat> would you go again Yeah I'd probably go again Yeah cool yeah, it was it was not as bad as I expected it to be as far as the just crushing mass of humanity. Mm-hmm. I, I There were a lot of people that I think could tell when someone around them was uncomfortable and they would give them space. You know, I really expected it to be a lot more rude 
and a lot more oh, okay. invasive of personal space. And I think people could tell that I was like when I would start to bottle up a little bit, I'd see like this little bubble of space kind of clear around <laughs> me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, people are paying attention to this. They're seeing that, hey, this guy clearly is about to go nuts. Maybe let's all get away from him a little bit. We, the members of the geek community, really are the salt of the earth <laughs> and care about our other brothers and sisters. So, yeah, uh, totally makes sense that that would happen. Um, it did take me until Friday before I started taking pictures of anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I did see some very cool stuff that I took pictures of. We got to post them on the blog. I think it would be kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, I took loads and loads of pictures. It was mainly pictures of other people's costumes. Yeah. And the vast majority of them were homemade, handmade costumes which were awesome i have to say the favorite picture out of all the photos that i took the one that i thought was just amused me the most it was a a guy that was dressed as and you're probably not going to get the reference but he's dressed as bob the astronaut from the lego movie okay he's got i mean just this huge puffy costume of making him look like one of the one of the lego men and as i as i'm walking along i see this guy and he's slumped shoulders head hung low leaning up against the wall and i imagine it's probably because that thing was hot and just <laughs> awkward but like he clearly was exhausted or yeah. down some, for some reason so he's just kind of off off on the side and i walked over and i said hey my, my son loves the lego movie can i take your picture and he nods and so he's just kind of standing there shoulders slumped down real low just very sad looking uh-huh. and as soon as i pull my phone out he strikes this ridiculous pose <laughs> 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 it was hilarious. <laughs> I got I got such a laugh out of that. <laughs> I, I also really enjoyed that a few of you guys listened to my recommendation and came to her James Owens talk. Yeah, brilliant. That was probably my favorite panel, and I went to a couple of other decent panels. So he did a great job. I, I love listening to that guy. You know, the, the, I've heard it I think four times now. And there's, there's it's always a little bit different. I hear different parts of his life. And I just try to bring other people with me because I think it's just such a great talk about making conscious choices and and how the cumulative effect of your choices will dictate what your life becomes. Yeah. I've been searching for, because I finished finally The Wheel of Time, and I've been thinking maybe I should read his his Dragons series because it's complete. It's finished, right? Yeah. I they are intended for like a young or middle reader yeah. kind of thing, like teen reader or something. Uh, but I still feel like I might be able to enjoy it. Yes, I, I read book one with my kids, and we all enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Uh, my my kids like you know. I think my kids would pretty much enjoy anything that dad bothered to read to them. So you know they're an easy audience. But I think I think they're interesting. We haven't read anything past the first book because as soon as I finished the first book, they kind of went off. They got back to school and got reading their own things, and so we haven't been able to come back and finish the series ever. But I think you would enjoy them. Okay. All right. Well, I'll definitely maybe add them to the list. Um, I uh, uh, one of the fun things is the fact that my niece, who now lives in the state of Utah, um, down in Provo, um, she came a number of days, and so I got to go and hang out with her. And then apparently a, a cousin of mine I wasn't aware existed. Um, they were both the same age, uh, my niece and that cousin. So they were going around and they're fun little girls and like, ah, oh, yeah, this is awesome and. Um, it was neat because as we were leaving, they stopped and went back to this one particular booth where there was some guys that were like muscly, like, okay, 
the exact opposite of the Comic-Con babes. Okay. That you would see sure. dressed up, you know, in the skimpy outfits, tight, yeah. skimpy outfits. Except essentially all they're wearing is a bathing suit and, you know, a couple of other accoutrements that go with their, their costume. And they both got pictures of them kissing their cheeks. <laughs> I was thinking as I'm taking the pictures, I'm thinking I have no idea what their fathers are going to think of me doing this. <laughs> and then it was now I wonder if I could get away with <laughs> going up to all of the female versions and getting them to kiss me on the cheek. Nice. Something tells me probably not. <laughs> I think it's best that you didn't ask. <laughs> Good point. Anyway, I uh, got a good laugh about that. Um, it was huge. They actually had to, to shut the doors for a while. Uh, the fire marshal came through and said, there's too many people in here. We can't let any more in. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to what's coming next year. I, I bet they're going to do a fantasy con again in the summer and I bet that they're going to try and squeeze in some sort of like fan experience thing like in the spring okay. like they did this I, year. I think uh, at some point I will save up some money and see if I can get a few of those people just to say hey you know right. I, well, the one I really wanted was Lou Ferrigno who is here really? Yeah. you wanted him I, to say I'm it. a huge fan oh, of the Hulk of Incredible Hulk are. show yeah, uh, the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno show. I just, I love it. I, I love watching it. It's so melancholy. It just yeah. it hits me right in that yeah. spot, you know. And so I really wanted to go up and and have Lou Ferrigno say, "This is Lou Ferrigno, and you're listening to Trek West Five. I thought it would be such a great lead in to our show all the time. Yeah. But they they want like fifty bucks to even go get in the line, and I hadn't planned on going, so I well, hadn't saved any money. It's not fifty bucks to get in the line. Okay, it, but it. There, there is a cost structure for the different things, and each celebrity sets their own cost. Right. Um, yes, these set that were here, I wasn't really interested in any of them. I mean, it would have been neat, sure, but the way they had them positioned at, it, too many people around, and so yeah. it's not as though you could just sit there and gawk at them. Uh, but my the one I wanted to really go and see was Bruce Campbell. Okay, um, but that that didn't happen, so. Um, I think ooh would have been great if we could have had him do uh, as his character from um, from Burn Notice, Sam Axe. Yes, but the other guy that he always says he oh, is. oh Chuck Finley. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else is laughing at that joke except you and I. Uh, but that is such a great character yeah. uh, that he that he played there. Okay, we, we that, should that was back. both of our number six. <laughs> yes, yes, that was our <laughs> Honestly, six. probably should have beat some of the things that did make my list. Uh, let's see here. We want to go to, uh, let's do Brainy here. Um, sup, dudes. Can I just say now, as I type, my fingers are happily returning to the strange phenomenon that occurs once I write to the podcast. You see, the words I compose reverberate in my head with the specific and definite sound of not my own voice, <laughs> but that of one Peter Nash. <laughs> he hears his own words in your voice. That's great. It's weird, but glad the overlords are back. Don't worry about the delay. It helps me not feel guilty about writing so much. Top five. This summer, I didn't get to go anywhere exciting, so my top five is mostly books I recently read. I should, however, mention that I did get a weird job as a model. 
Earlier in the summer at Heinz Field, where Pittsburgh hosted a match between Manchester City and AC Milan for some cup sponsored by Guinness. My job was facil- to facilitate this tent where people got photographed next to the actual trophies, the Premier League Cup, as well as the Guinness Cup. Um, it was surreal, but fun. Honorable mention goes to me for my successful stalking of this hot chick who works at the Rite Aid near my gym. I somehow managed to go from awkwardly trying to conjure viable excuses for my inexplicably frequent visits to the store, (laughs) graduating to actually dating Rite Aid girl. Nice. Yay. Anyway, on to some books. It's weird that that doesn't make it in the list somehow. <laughs> in the top five? <laughs> like, the books are better than meeting and dating this girl. Well, now, Pete. now granted, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that he is, you know, uh, maybe moved on, or maybe it was just a couple of dates and that was it. But still, I don't know. <laughs> Joey, what are you reading these days? Any suggestions? I'll have one in Joey's Culture Corner. All right. Well, here is my most recent list. Number five, The Widow's House by Daniel Abraham. This is part four of the Quintology. Abraham was quickly has quickly become one of my favorite authors, and this series, The Dagger and Coin, is an amazing fantasy yarn. Number four, Cibola Burn by James S.A. Corey. Yes, more Daniel Abraham. <laughs> the second trilogy of The Expanse is pretty much as super awesome-rific as the first. This installment takes us to adventures in planet colonization with insane marines and more weirdness from the nefarious alien black goo. I'm terrified for these books to be television uh, televisionized. So, it's nice to enjoy them before the sci-fi corruption commences. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Long? Number four. Again. Oh, Daniel Abraham? <laughs> no, he's got, he's got three fours. Oh, I see. <laughs> the Moat in God's Eye by mm. Pornell and Niven. Yeah. Holy smokes, I'm still in the middle of the book, but this one has got crazy fun aliens with wacky yet efficient appendages. It's uh, always refreshing to have aliens that are totally different from humans. I had this one recommended to me a while ago, like years and years and years ago, and I've always wanted to read it. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. Good? Yeah. What I was going to say is it's weird to me that as well read in the science fiction genre as brainy is that he's just now reading a moat in God's eye because I don't know, maybe it's the fact that I kind of grew up in the eighties uh-huh. when science fiction was still a niche uh-huh. much more than it is now. Uh, but I mean, you didn't get very far in science fiction without going, okay, I've got to read this Niven book because everyone is talking about it. You know, it's referenced all the time. So it for me, I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I read a moat in God's eye. Okay. Awesome. Okay. He continues. Number four, Blind Sight by Peter Watts. Why did thousands of aliens' probes appear out of nowhere one day and disappear with a flash, never to be heard from again? What does the Chinese room problem have to do with first contact? And why do vampires hate crosses? Why can't a sociopath announce his birthday? I absolutely loved this deep, dark delving into a profound examination on the nature of consciousness and sentience. An all-time fave, which will be the subject of a nook soon, 
but I wanted to give Joey a chance to not be spoiled. I appreciate that. I'll have to go check it out. Number three, This Immortal by Roger Zelazny. I enjoyed reading this immensely. As soon as I finished, I read it again. It is such a perfect confluence of sci-fi infused with a the history of classic mythology. The book features one of my favorite protagonists ever, as he employs ancient mythos elements to make sense of a ravaged Earth in the wake of an alien war. Number two, Star Tide Rising by oh, David Brin. So good. I know that Joey loves this author. <laughs> Just as you gush right before I say uh, that. Star Tide Rising is one of his better books as well. So, uh, As previous Culture Corner covered The Postman. And Bryn's epic sci-fi trilogy, the Uplift series, is sci-fi at its pinnacle. Why? Crazy, weird aliens. Galactic politics. And most awesomely, dolphins. Yeah. When humans learn how to genetically enhance dolphins, the two species learn to communicate, and it is revealed that dolphins have been telling humans dirty jokes for thousands of years. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> In Star Tide, many of the main characters are dolphins, and they are and they are great war- starship pilots, and it's amazing. As the species develops its own unique sense of spirituality and values. But I'll have to go into further detail some other day. Number one. Drum roll. Ilium. By the great Dan Simons. Did I mention that I think it's cool when an author can meld old world mythology with far out sci-fi? Simons. What? Dan Simons. All right. I think this epic may may be the ultimate example. Now, I haven't finished it yet because it's millions of pages long. (laughs) But so far, the narrative is so poignant that I am almost reduced to tears in the aftermath of some of these chapters. It's set in the way-ahead future, where historians can time travel to witness actual events. So the events of the Iliad are a huge part of the story. Also, the Greek gods are real. They are giant, super-advanced aliens. Also, Shakespeare's poetry is illuminated and incorporated into the story. I get the feeling that I'm reading something way over my head, and it's awesome. You know, I, I have not read Ilium yet. It's sitting on my bookshelf, on the, the shelf that is my to-read uh-huh. shelf. But uh, I did read his other series. I can't remember now what it's called but it's the one about the shrike and i even having read that series probably three times i still come away going i'm not entirely sure i understood everything that happened (laughs) like it's very abstract he writes at a really really high level and it can be a little difficult to understand Hmm. interesting uh brainy great list uh let's move over to listener bob he says hi fellas welcome back after your break i hope i get this in in time What a wonderful movie to come back on. More on that later. During the summer, we visited the USA, specifically Georgia and Florida. I was visiting my in-laws, SpongeBob's families, uh, which was wonderful. Spending a week on the beach is quite something. I had never really done that before, so I felt totally relaxed after the three-week vacation. Hmm. Our next trip to U.S. will include Utah. So we may pop by in 2016. 
Yeah, I remember you telling us about the trip that you were going to make and thinking you might be circling our way. And so when I when I saw on Facebook, I was thinking, oh, all right, they're they're coming, they're coming. <laughs> and then nope, nothing, <laughs> not 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 a visit. He's a tease. <laughs> By the way, did I just hear the foreshadowing bell? Uh, (laughs) or baccalaureate did someone say baccalaureate (laughs) Um, it was a text message that was within my pocket I I wanted to make sure I actually heard it and didn't just imagine it I'm having flashbacks of Babylon 5 recordings (laughs) as as I was uh, reading this um, Joey's uh, and the the bell dinged which I doubt any of you heard um Joey suddenly looked up and around. <laughs> I was trying to figure where, out. It sounded like it came from the corner behind me. <laughs> just the way it bounced around the room. I was like, what was that? <laughs> now, you've interrupted Bob here. Let's I get apologize. back to Bob. For my top five, I will list the five favorite things I did while in the U.S. on this trip. Number five, a family reunion. SpongeBob has an extended family of over 50 people. I met most of them the last time we went. This time was a muted affair with only 30 people showing up for a barbecue on the lake. Number four, cycling along the Panama Beach coastline. This was really a lot of fun. The weather never went below 90 degrees Fahrenheit while we were down in Florida. I had two younger kids in a trail hitched to to my bike and we spent the day riding and also ate a wonderful sea f- at at a wonderful seafood restaurant that were showing the NFL preseason games nice number 3 the journey on the plane i'll be honest i was dreading the actual plane journey with my three young children but amazingly all three behaved impeccably with the passengers around us Plus, we didn't drug them either. <laughs> Not that I condone that sort of thing. <laughs> Number two, shopping. The British pound was at a reasonable strength against the dollar, which meant new wardrobe time. TJ Maxx also had a skillet I, um, I was after made from cast iron, nice. which is perfect for steak and meats of all kind. Indeed. It weighed 20 pounds alone. And was a challenge to fit into the hand luggage so we wouldn't go overweight. <laughs> I could just imagine the people who are sitting there as you're going through security looking at your bag. <laughs> cast iron skillet in there. What? Like, how was that okay to go on the plane? Oh, that's hilarious. Have they not seen Rapunzel or Tangled? <laughs> Tangled, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's awesome. I would love, I would love Cast Iron Skillet. I really would. But the problem is, um, I, it's tough to control the temperature. Like, it's going to get up to a certain temperature, and it's going to stay that temperature. And it's you, you can't really do much with it. Plus, the setup that I have, it's a, it's a range with the, you know, the heating rings built into yes, the thing. It's, are, it's yeah. really, really awkward. So, one day, if when I can get a gas range, maybe I might get cast iron, because it would be cool. I, I love cooking with my cast iron skillets. Whenever I make steak, mm-hmm. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Number one, beach slash beach house. This was amazing fun. I think towards the end, we had 
we had enough of the beach, so we stayed indoors as a family and played board games. Although it did rain on one of those days, so the pool in the back didn't seem as appealing either. Apart from that, all is very quiet. My son, who was born in the same week I discovered Trek West 5, started school earlier this month. Nice. Which shows just how long I've been listening. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That Bob, is great. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to share that. Uh, and glad you enjoyed uh, your, your visit to the States, um, uh, despite apparently being um, in Florida, <laughs> which I've heard nothing but terrible things about. Okay, Joey, what's uh, what's your top five? Okay, uh, number five again. Now, on on further reflection, I probably should have put Comic Con before this, but uh, <laughs> mixing four thousand pounds of chicken feed. <laughs> what? Went down to to see Dee Dee's family uh, a few months back, and as you know, we were we were sitting there and we were having a conversation, and and her brother in law came in. And said, Joey, you ever mixed chicken feed before? And I said, no, I, ha- I haven't done that. And he said, well, why don't you come with us? And we'll go down and we'll show you how you mix chicken feed. And they, they make it from, you know, they buy the, the raw grain and things like that. And they put it through a, a grinder and, and make their own chicken feed. And they, we get down there. I said, okay, so, you know, what are we making? Like, you know, 100 pounds? Nope. Making two tons. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you the grain? Uh, what what grains? Corn, I assume. Corn, uh, oats, and barley. Okay. Did you have to get it super fine, like to a powder, or just like smaller chunks? No, it was it was all powdered. It was very okay. powdered. So it turns out this actually is something that my one of my nephews does for a business. Uh, he started out buying chickens and raising chickens and selling them to people. And then, you know, he started making the chicken feed to feed the chickens. And he realized if he bought at a bulk rate, he could get much better pricing. And then now he sells the chicken feed. And, and he has customers that swear by his product. And they will drive. There's one, there's one <laughs> couple that drove an hour and a half to come down and buy 300 pounds of chicken feed from him because they are so pleased with the results that they've had. Interesting. And he's got he's got his own little recipe that he's come up with. You know, he started out with something he found on the internet, and then he's just kind of tweaked it and added things over the years. and And he's found that he gets really good results from this one mixture that he makes. And and so so actually, the people who bought the three hundred pounds of chicken feed from him, what what on, on their way to Orderville, they pass through uh, Canab, and he just tells them if you'll pick up three hundred dollars worth of the the following items then you will just trade straight across. So they basically deliver a lot of his raw materials for him. Okay. And then he gives them the chicken feed and they and they just basically they're just paying the fuel cost to come come to him. Sure. Uh but it was so it was a lot of lifting and and carrying things. It's very very hard work and and I said, "Well, you know, if if I've learned nothing else, I know <laughs> from now on when you say, "Hey, let's go make chicken feed," to say, "Nope, I'm good." Thanks. <laughs> You guys have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, the, the number four immediately followed the mixing of 4,000 pounds of chicken feed. We were trying to figure out, you know, we should do something as a family while we're down here. My wife's family goes to a place called Red Cave. Been married to my wife for 15 years. Always heard glowing things about Red Cave. No one's ever invited me to go. This time they said, well, you know, we, we could go to Red Cave. We haven't been to Red Cave in a while. 
And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I've never seen Red Cave. And they all turned to me with their jaws open. You've been married to Dee Dee for 15 years. You've never been to Red Cave? <laughs> I said, yeah, she stopped going about the time we got married. <laughs> So Red you, Cave, you, you replaced Red Cave, Joey. <laughs> you were just that impressive. Red Cave is a lot like the Narrows in Zion's. If you've ever hiked the Narrows, it's a slot canyon. It took us about four hours to get out. All so you start at the bottom and you work your way up, and then once you get up the top, then there's a nice easy hike down. But it it is a lot of tough climbing, weird angles. You know, there's places where you have to climb like a chimney where you got your back against the wall and your hands and feet against the other wall and you kind of scoot up. Well, we had with us six kids under the age of, at or under the age of 12 that mm-hmm. obviously can't climb and things like that. And so after I had gone out and made 4,000 pounds of chicken feed, <laughs> then I'm having to like haul little kids and pass little kids up. And, uh, you know, the, even some of the adults had trouble with some of the angles. And so we're just hauling each other up. I was so exhausted by the time that day was done. I'm not kidding you. It, so it's supposed to be like a 20 minute walk. Once you get out the top of the canyon, then there's a little path and it, t- it usually takes about 20 minutes to get down. It took me an hour and a half to get down because I was so exhausted <laughs> that I was literally, I couldn't even pick my feet up. I was just shuffling my feet along the ground because I was just so tired, just bone, bone tired. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Ruined a pair of shoes, uh, cause it, and also got a nice mouthful of this swampy water that Ugh. for years has, Ugh. you know, I mean, it, it never, it, <laughs> it just stagnates yeah. in there. Uh, oh, so there was a, a spot where the water was up to about to my neck. Oh, man. And obviously the little kids can't go in there. And so what we did is we made a, a human ladder from the adults and the kids would walk across the, the human ladder. And I was, I was in the last position and I just held my hands over my head and they would stand on my hands to get up to the next level of the cave. And one of the kids decided he was going to jump onto my hands and he missed and yeah. I, as I caught, cried out, no, no, you know, I had my mouth wide open oh, and he hit gross. that water and it just what all went oh. down. And I spent probably about five minutes vomiting uh. and I'm pretty sure I got some pretty good, I don't know, food poisoning is the right term, but it was not good for my system, <laughs> but it was a fun experience. I had a lot of fun. Uh, number three is at, at work, we, over the past couple months, we've started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the first time we, we said, you know what? We thought people might be interested in this. Beginners, welcome. And I told Curtis, I said, you're, you're going to get 20 people to this. He said, no, we're going to get five, maybe five. We ended up with over 20 people yep. showing up that wanted to play. It was a lot of fun. I think everybody really, really enjoyed themselves. And what we did is we split up. There were three of us that were pretty comfortable being a dungeon master. We had the same pre-written campaign that's specifically designed for new players. It has pre-generated characters and things like that. And everybody broke up into groups. We broke up into three groups. And we all played the same same campaign. Then we came together at the end. And they all kind of shared their version of the story so that they could all see how this is very different from any video game you've ever played. There's no script because everybody reacted differently. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, over half of them have already uh, confirmed their attendance to the next one, which is going to be in the, at the end of October. Um, Was it end of October? I thought it was 17th. Uh, Okay. I thought I was thinking it was the 24th, but it might be the 17th. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, okay, what's, that was number what's next? three. Number two is I traveled to Nashville, Tennessee for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so the the group that we were working with there, it's the Dave Ramsey group or the Lampo group. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really awesome people. I really enjoyed working with those guys um, on the Wednesday morning. That So I was there for a full week. On Wednesday morning, they, they do a devotional. They had a, a, a pastor from, I don't even know what denomination he was, come in. And everybody in the company from 830 to 930 goes over and, and listens to this guy talk. And this, they get different people in all the time. But we had a lot of fun. I, I you know It was a great experience. I liked his message. And then on the last day... I was there with Adam, a coworker, and we got to go see what they call, what is it, Little Athens, or the Athens of the South, I guess is what mm-hmm. they call it. And so they have this full-scale replica of the Parthenon down there. And inside they have a 50-foot-tall statue of Athena. It is very cool. Got to spend a lot of time uh, just kind of exploring the sites. And uh, when I go out for a work trip, I normally don't get to do any of the touristy stuff, but we specifically had a half a day we were just, you know what, we're just going to go see the sights and kind of do the tourist thing. And it was a lot of fun. We walked around the the honky-tonk bar section downtown Nashville and things like that. Really enjoyed ourselves. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, my number one is I spent three days, I think this is two weeks ago, uh, go, taking my mom back to Wyoming to see her mother. Uh, her mom was, she's she lives in a... Old folks home. Is that what we call them now? <laughs> I don't know what they're supposed to call them. My mom calls it an old folks home, so I'm going to say old folks home. The retirement home? Oh, I, I don't know. I Something. Bless your heart for, for old people live. To say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we actually saw both of my grandmothers. They both live in Riverton, Wyoming. Uh, so I went down to... Well, my plan originally was to go down and pick my, pick my mother up, but my wife bless her ever loving heart went and picked my mother up for me so I could come to a party at work. It was yep. great. It was very, very nice of her. Uh, so then my mom spent the, spent Wednesday night at my house. We got up Thursday morning, drove all the way up to Wyoming, uh, spent Thursday night, Friday night there and came back on Saturday and, uh, got to see both of my grandmothers, you know, my, uh, my paternal grandmother is she's a paranoid schizophrenic. And it's very interesting having a conversation with someone who is both senile and schizophrenic, you know. Whoa. Uh, it was just, uh, when I first walked in, she, she looked up and she said, oh, Jim, you're here to visit me? And that's, that's my father. And I said, well, close, Grandma, I said. <laughs> and then she, she said, well, which one are you? Because <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't gone back there a lot. We didn't spend a whole lot of time seeing him. But, uh, you know, got to talk to her for a little bit. That was kind of interesting. She kept thinking I was my dad over and over again in the conversation. And then, Was there ever a point at which you said, all right, fine, I'll no, be Jim? No, there was not. So I, remember, I know you don't want to pretend to be your dad, but still. No, it's not that. It's, it's just, I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right thing to do. When I was like 12 or 13 years old, I met one of my great grandmothers uh-huh. and she kept confusing me for one of her kids. And I just went along with that. It was great because, you know, I could tell it made her happy uh-huh. to see me there. Uh-huh. I didn't feel like happiness was the emotion I was going to be delivering to my grandmother to pretend to be my dad. Cause I know things are not well between them. They don't. The last time my, my dad and his mom saw each other things were acrimonious and i could tell that she wanted to get into that fight again and it was not going to be a good thing okay for me to Makes pretend sense. to be him makes sense um 
But and then I saw my maternal grandmother, who's ninety three years old and is doing just fine. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't tell she you could hardly even tell that she was old. It was great. We went into the into the retirement house, the retirement community, and there's this guy. He's got to be at least ninety years old. And I, you know, I walk up and he, you know, I'm I'm trying to just get through the common room to go see my grandmother, and he stops me and he gives me his fist, you know, for a fist bump. He's like, "Hey, how's it going, buddy?" I'm like, it's going great, dude. How are you doing? He says, oh, I'm doing great. You want to watch me do some one-armed push-ups? <laughs> and I said, sure. Because <laughs> when an old man says that to you, you park yourself down because you're right. about to get a show. Oh, that's and he awesome. Did. He got down and he was, I mean, he was touching his nose to the ground. Wow. He's doing these one-armed push-ups all the way down. And I'm like, that is amazing, dude. Well, you know, it's great to see you. I, I got to go talk to my grandmother. Have a great day. <laughs> it's just the most random thing. As we're sitting there having the the lunch with my with my grandmother, one of my dad's brothers walks in and says, "Oh, hey, J- Joey and Sharon. Haven't seen you in a few years." Is my uncle Dick, and he's like, "Oh, what are you guys doing here?" Oh, it's you know, it's grandma's birthday. He says, "Oh yeah, I'm here to see an old friend of mine that's that's in here." But uh, the the reason this made number one for me on this list. In, okay. Yeah. I, I was wondering if you were going to tell me. Yes, I was. So yeah. my my uncle, my mom's brother, younger brother, served in Vietnam. He was the first person in our family ever to serve in the military on, on my mom's side. And in fact, when he got drafted, my grandfather told him, I will take a loan to get you enough money to get to Canada. Interesting. And he said, no. I, I love this country. I'm going to serve. And he went over to Vietnam. He came back and would never talk about what happened. He never told my mom stories, never told anybody anything other. You know, a few things slipped out over the years, but it wasn't like he ever wanted to talk about Vietnam. Well, so on Thursday night, when we first got up there, he said, hey, you know, I need to go down and I need to go, go into town and, and pick up a wiper blade for my vehicle. Joey, why don't you come with me? I said, sure. So we go down, and as we're going along on the road, I said, you know, Larry, my mom and dad raised me to be respectful and thankful for the military. And I know you served in Vietnam, but I don't know anything about what happened to you over there, what you experienced. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share it with me. I'd like to just understand and and appreciate. He He was silent for a long time, and then he said, well... I'll tell you some things, but there are other things that I don't ever want to share with anybody because I don't want to relive it. Nobody needs to know those things. And I said, Mm -hmm. that's fine. I am willing to hear whatever you want to share. And over the course of the next three days, that man proceeded to open up to me in a way that he's never opened up to anybody. My mother and his wife were both in awe of the fact that he would just sit there and tell me these war stories. And they were hilarious and fantastic. Some of them I just laughed my head off as he's telling me about, you know, things that... So he was there. he, He drove... A big rig, basically. He he drove so they load up the big rig. He uh, it was uh, told me it was nine axles, so I mean a real big truck. Yeah, and they just loaded up with supplies, weapons, you know, ammunition, uh, food, gear. Just load him up, and he would just drive out into these really bad zones of the war, drop it off, and then turn around and hightail it back to the camp. <laughs> um, and and I think I'll probably share some of those stories once I've had time to 
sit down and think through how to retell them and maybe even get his feedback on them. But the, the most interesting part for me, the whole, the, the whole thing was he actually, as he started to tell these stories, he gets up and he goes into his bedroom and pulls out, I'm, look, I'm watching him go because he's, he's in the middle of a sentence. He got up and he walked out. So I'm watching to see, Oh, you know, is he, is, did it get too close? You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I watch him go into the bedroom and he pulls out from underneath his pillow, a photo album that nobody knew he had of all of his war buddies and all of the things that he like the camps and things like that. And he starts going through this photo album because he, he went to get it. Cause he said, Oh, this is the guy I'm talking about and pointed. And okay. his wife said, I had no idea you owned that. I didn't know that was underneath your pillow. I've never seen that photo album in my entire life. Had no clue that he had this stuff. It also had in there his, um, all the paperwork. So the draft paper, the, mm-hmm. the manual that they gave him on how to be a good soldier kind of thing. Uh, and then his, I'm trying to remember what it's called. He, he was the highest rank you can be as a Lance Corporal, uh, the highest rank you can be without going to officer's school. Okay. And it's because, you know, he didn't go to college or anything like that. He left out, right out of high school, went over to the war, and they weren't going to be sending anybody back to go back to officer's school. Yeah. It was, you know what, you're field promoted to Lance Corporal, that's as high as you're going to go. But the paperwork that promoted him, that, you know, said you're promoted to Lance Corporal. So I took photos of all that with my phone because it's getting really deteriorated. You know, the, the paper is starting to crack and things like yep. that. So yeah. I took photos of my phone because nobody even knew he had this stuff. And now I've got a record of it. And I was very excited and, and just had a really good time getting to know my uncle. He, he's always been, I, I felt closest to him of all of my uncles, but that's not saying much in my family. <laughs> okay. uh, and so it's just kind of like, I don't know anything about him. I don't, I don't know what he likes. I don't know what he is like. Uh, one of the more interesting things, you know, when I was growing up a, as a child, I was the only one of my siblings with black hair, dark hair. All my siblings are blonde haired and they're all very fair skinned. And I have fairly dark skin comparatively. Uh, it's lightened up over the years. But when I was younger, I looked like a Native American. I mean, okay. people would tell me I looked like an Indian. Um, and one time I get in an argument. I think I was almost 16. I get in an argument with my mom. She's trying to tell me to do something that I didn't want to do. And I finally, uh, well, I should preface all this. I should, so my, because of those attributes, my older brother, Ben, had me convinced from a very young age that I was adopted. I grew up <laughs> honestly yeah. believing that yeah. I was an adopted kid. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm about 16 years old, and I get in this shouting match with my mother. And at one point in the, ma- the shouting match, I just said, what do you care? I'm not even your son anyway. <laughs> and she says, excuse me? I said, come on, Mom. Who do you think you're fooling at this point? Look at me. I don't look like anybody else in this family. Yeah. Because my grandparents are all light-haired and everything. And... My mom silently gets up and goes over to her hope chest and she pulls out an album and and she's flipping through it. She brings back a picture and it looks like I'm looking in a mirror. The guy looks exactly like (laughs) me and it's my Uncle Larry. Mm -hmm. And so I've always felt close to him because I was like, oh, you know what? This is the guy that is my evidence that I belong in this family. (laughs) So I felt close to him because of that. But I don't, again, I never knew him very well. We just don't talk in our family. Yeah. And so to sit there and actually have lengthy conversations over the course of three days with this guy was very, very meaningful for me. And I, I wish I had had the foresight to pull out my phone and hit record yeah, and have all that because I don't know if he'll ever tell those stories again, but I certainly enjoyed hearing about them and it gave me a lot of respect and appreciation for what my uncle has done. 
Yeah, I remember when you were telling me those stories, and it was just fascinating to hear, you know, someone talk about it. And, uh, you know, I know you're not going to share those uh, here, and that's fine. Uh, but I enjoyed hearing the story, the other stories that you did tell me, and it's fascinating, a- absolutely fascinating to hear, you know, p- pieces of of that bit of your family, which nobody else was even aware of, and you know, was kind of maybe taboo to even talk about because it was just an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. All right, great list. I think it's going to be way better than my <laughs> list. <laughs> um, I guess number six is uh, uh, Comic-Con, <laughs> which definitely beats out number five, which is the fact that I put in a new driveway. Oh, and yeah. by I, I mean I paid somebody else to uh, to do the work. Um, and it's it's nice. It's new. It'll probably stay that way for a couple of years and then start to get chipped up. And, you know, they'll have to start the process all over again. Anyway driveway is done number four the world cup i loved the world cup i had a goal going into it i'm gonna watch every single match and i did not accomplish my goal (laughs) i missed a couple uh due to dvr problem um and then one of them i was busy time and i just like the match I just didn't really care okay. that much about and sort of like eh, this is a meaningless So the question game. is had you already known you were going to fail at the goal before you made that decision? No. So the first one you failed at was no, conscious. I, I set the DVR to record well I would come home each day watch the, the previous days and then I would set the DVR to record the the next day's games. Um, and so there there was once where it just didn't record the game. My, my question was, the first one that you missed, was that the conscious decision one or was that the accidental one? It's the accidental okay. one. Okay. So, the so at that point, was, you had already failed your goal. Yes, it was easier to miss sure. because it, it was a meaningless game and I knew I wasn't going to get, get okay. my goal done. Anyway, I still watched, I think, almost all of them <laughs> and it really really enjoyed it loved that uh, that closing uh game the 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 final um and germany was spectacular well it's clear that you loved it as you left it in the bottom of the email well after the end of the world cup <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay okay number three um nashville uh, so I went out there with uh, Joey and that other developer um, of ours, and it was fun because we were doing a training. We were helping their development staff come up to speed on things. I'm I was going to be playing the role of project manager, so they wanted me to come out and s- start the project up. And it was awkward because it was sort of like, okay, I've got to be this professional guy, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just goofball Pete. What? How? No, they're going to realize really soon that I'm not that great. I think they responded well to Goofball Pete. I, I hope so. It helped that I was there to, you know, be the target of your jokes. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. You do have a use, Joey. <laughs> just just go ahead and paint that target onto your back at all times. Um, anyway, it was great to be out there because I had never been to Nashville. Um, it is a beautiful place. And granted, we weren't specifically in Nashville, but it's humid incredibly humid out there and everything was green i didn't see anything that was dying i saw no brown grass everything was green 
It was yeah. just gorgeous. I, I asked our host at one point, I said, so at what point did the gills come in so that I can actually <laughs> breathe down here? Because it was soupy, thick air. It's crazy how humid it was. Um, for me, I, you got to go to that, uh, to that devotional. I would have loved to have gone, but I was only there for one day. One day, back out. Um, but I... Um, did get to go over and watch uh, a thing that the Dave Ramsey radio show does. I think they almost do it on a daily basis, but it is the debt-free shout. And if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, he is um, a financial kind of a wizard guru type of person who talks about, you know, personal finance, making sure, you know, helping you get out of debt, helping you make good life choices that are, you know, respond that responsible adults and people should be making, um, Anyway, the idea is you they bring these people on, and back in the original days when they started doing this, they were like, boy, I hope that we can just manage to get one a week. Well, now they're at the point where they're once a day doing this on the radio and you know, kind of turning people away. But they come on, they tell their story about how they got into debt, they tell you how much they got into debt, and then how they got out of debt. And the people that we watched, they were in like $80,000 worth of debt. And within three years, they, they managed wow. to get themselves out. And uh, so Dave Ramsey's, you know, just talking him through all that stuff. And he says, okay, here, let's, let's do this now, everybody. And he counts them down, three, two, one. And they shout at the top of their lungs, <laughs> I'm debt free. And it is one just an incredibly empowering feeling to be in a room where someone is shouting and exulting <laughs> so strongly and powerfully. Um, it was it was absolutely amazing to watch. I got a chance to go up and talk to them, uh, shake their hand, and just say, you know, congratulations, well done. Um, and then we did end up uh, in a commercial break. We we got to meet Dave Ramsey. Take a picture of him real quick. Yeah, I didn't get to meet Dave. I was disappointed by that. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so the Nashville trip, loads and loads of, of fun. Had a great time doing it. All right, number two, um, we finally, almost a year after you know, we started working for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we finally launched the very first website that the church is going to be doing on the Adobe Experience Manager platform. That's what we do. That's what Joey and I do at uh, at our offices. Um, and it was just, it was empowering. It was relaxation. It was <laughs> A release. Ex- exaltation. Um, it I was so happy to finally get this thing done and out the door because it had been sitting since like May. <laughs> it was honestly ready to go. And I know we tweaked it a little bit and we added a few things here and there, but for the most part, it was ready to go. Yeah, th- those are things that were never going to come up until it went live anyway. So yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, it went live. Super happy about it. We got to go and celebrate with the, the different teams um, involved in it. You got to come to um, a, a big uh, party uh, luncheon that was awesome. Yep. Um, anyway, seriously loved it and, and glad that uh, you know that's finally rolling forward. And number one is none of your damn business. <laughs> so I'm just going to say uh, uh, awesome Super excited. <laughs> really? Just, just 
come on. So no, it, it's it's not. This is this is this is it. And you're not allowed to say that, say a damn thing. Um, it uh, I'm just super happy. But I'm just gonna say I'm exhausted <laughs> mentally, even today physically and emotionally, just drained. But I wouldn't have it any other way. So my question is. Is, num- is number one going to get to be yeah. part of this? This will feed back I, I, into I, number one? I think so, okay. eventually. I just don't want to <laughs> jinx it. Um, I, uh, you know... Uh, it's weird having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, su- super pumped and, and pleased with uh, with everything that's going on with, with number one. Um, so, yeah. There, there you go. Okay. How's that? that that's um, great. Now, before you jump into this, I got to get back over to Brainy because um, he wrote in um, and I want to share his nook of darkness okay. uh, before you do Culture Corner. So for this week's nook of darkness, I wanted to think of something Stargate relevant. Stargate, after all, does harness that great sci-fi trope of the powerful overseeing aliens doing something mysterious somewhere out there as in the case of robert charles wilson's 2000 novel uh, 2005 novel spin so in the book this dude is looking at the stars one night as a boy and they suddenly disappear all of them as the world comes to grips with being shrouded by an unexplainable alien blanket humanity strives to respond to it the alien architects of this planet blanket remain unknown and are thusly dubbed the hypotheticals and humans scramble to build little sentient nanobots to permeate the darkness and explore uh, profound dynamics of what shapes a civilization are addressed when the mystery of the darkness and who the hypothetical are is finally revealed The answer is a beautiful moment of literary payoff. Spin follows the life of a dude who lives through the spin years. In the process, R.C. Wilson draws an analogy of lifespan of civilizations on a scale of eons. It's a pretty cool book. Yay. Okay, good nook of darkness. That is a good one. I read that a few years back. The year that I think that either won or it was at least nominated for a Hugo, uh, I decided that year I was going to read every single book that got nominated for a Hugo. And that was, I think that actually won that year. And okay. It was a good book. I enjoyed it. Okay. Let's do Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. Joey's Culture Corner is the book Brilliance by Marcus Seiki. Uh Marcus Seiki generally writes crime novels, police detective kind of novels. Brilliance is his foray into science fiction. And it was really well done. The The premise is in the late 1980s, instead of having people with a savant level genius born one in a million, they start being born one in a hundred. And 
this has a dramatic effect on the world. The the first like the most the most dramatic example that they use, they you know, that kind of made the world wake up and realize, oh, things have changed is when a 16-year-old kid makes like 100 billion dollars on the stock market because he's able to sense the patterns of the stock market and perfectly predict exactly what's going to happen to the point that they actually have to completely shut down all the stock markets everywhere in the world, which dries up the capital for small to medium-sized businesses because nobody's buying and selling stock anymore. Right. And and then that stifles entrepreneurship. And, <laughs> and just, so just the 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 premise of the of the book is where we see the the character that we follow around the most is I can't remember his name is his first name is Nick. I can't remember his last name now, but he is a member of a government body called um, I've, for, I've forgotten too many details here. I can't remember the name of the group, but mm-hmm. it's basically the FBI, except with a license to kill, <laughs> and their mission is to hunt brilliance. So br- okay. a, a brilliant is someone who's one of these savants that is changing the world, and in their opinion, in the opinion of the government, changing the world for the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the course of the book, you see this guy who starts out, he is a brilliant he has the ability to predict what people are going to do with their physical body by reading like micro musculature pre, you know, as you're getting ready to throw a punch, for example, you know, you tighten up this muscle up in your pec and he can tell where the punch is going to go. And so it looks to other people like he's super fast. Like he can always, he just always dodges out of the way. Well, that's because he knows it's coming long before you start swinging. As soon as you start thinking about swinging, the muscle tightens and he's already dodging out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he hunts down and kills the, the brilliant people that are part of what he believes to be and what the government believes to be a terrorist organization that is trying to say, you know what, the brilliant community and the normal community were different. It's kind of like the whole X-Men thing. So you got this Magneto kind of character running around, right? So they're not necessarily superpowers because everything in it is theoretically possible for someone who has that kind of control over their mental capacity. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much more about the plot because it does have some some good twists. I mean, again, this is a guy who writes mystery novels, so you know there, there's some good twists and turns in there. I, I don't think anyone who's read any degree of science fiction is going to be surprised by them necessarily, but I'd like to give them the opportunity to explore those for them for themselves. Uh, but the I, the big idea of it that that appealed to me the most was how such a what's what seemingly is a small thing just people getting smarter overall mm-hmm. had such a dramatic effect over such a short term of history and in fact the writer includes at certain points he'll take what's actually happening in our world today and have characters postulate boy can you imagine if we didn't have this going on we could all be fighting over oil in the Middle East or something. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's not that cheesy about it, but it, you know, you, you good can, because I rolled my eyes. <laughs> yes, at that. I, 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 you know, <laughs> I don't have the exact words he used, but I mean, it's clear that what he's saying is, yeah, you know, maybe if we had a different enemy to concern ourselves with, we would not be as concerned about certain things as we are today. We yep. would be focused on something else, and and so it did make me, as I was reading the book. Think about the things in my day to day life that concern me, that worry me, that, uh, you know, that I spend my brain cycles on and go, wow, you know, how could that be different? What what little tiny shifts in the world led me to that being what matters today? And 
how could it have been different? What, what, you know, speculating on what my life could have been had I turned left here instead of right there, you know, and, and things like that to a degree that I, you know, normally in science fiction, it's kind of in the back of my mind. Yeah. That's always the kind of you know, the many worlds interpretation kind of stuff. Yeah. It's always interesting to think about, but this actually led me to self-reflection to a degree that a lot of the other novels haven't because of the way the character is kind of exploring his own feelings and his own reactions to what's going on. Give it, give it a thumbs up. I, I really enjoyed this book. Cool. What was the name of it again? Brilliance, as in the attribute of being brilliant. <laughs> because the series is brilliance, the plural of people who are brilliant. Okay. Now, I think uh, just to let the listeners know, we are going to take a break here for a little while. Um, we uh, have a, a football game that we're going to go to. Uh, my first uh, time going to a college football game. Um, and I'm looking out the window. <laughs> it's raining. And uh, really wishing I had passed on that <laughs> ticket. Uh, anyway, it's uh, so we'll come back. We'll, we'll finish recording the rest of this. Um, you won't know the difference. Washington State at Utah. All right. We are back from, uh, from the football game. And uh, amazing news, Utah won. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> it was a stunner. Uh, really came down to the last uh, few seconds pulled out a win really really happy that i went to this game really all of those things are lies yeah. <laughs> everything you just said yeah it was <laughs> um it was cold it was rainy it was windy it was horrible um utah lost yes after um, opening up a 21 nothing lead wow how does that happen Jeez. in the first quarter yeah um so that first quarter was pretty fantastic it was, it was a good good quarter yeah super um. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Do you, do you really? Do you need to get some stuff off your chest? Nope. Good man. Keep those feelings bottled up deep down inside. <laughs> Don't cry out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Let's go ahead and jump over to uh, the podcast movie special Stargate. And I've been wanting to cover this one for a while because I love the movie Stargate so much. I've I just I've seen it. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It was one of those movies that my parents actually bought me. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, in high school. And I would come home from high school and I would watch the movie. It was uh, it was awesome. Remember the first time I saw it, I went to the movie theater, took my mom on a date. Oh, nice. I Let's see, 94, so I was probably 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, Mom, I'm going to take you to dinner and a movie. And we went to see Stargate. Nice. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I think she enjoyed the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of cursing or blood or skin. Very little cursing yeah. happens in this movie. Extremely rare. Because I feel like it's the kind of movie that could... I mean, it's a military movie. Yep. It could easily, easily turn into that. Well, and there was a clear setup for a sex scene that they just pivot away from and decide mm -hmm. not to take that path yeah um okay let's see here the movie i watched this off of my dvd and i have a collector's edition i don't know director's cut sort of thing anyway <clears throat> it's got extended uh deleted scenes in it and i also watched the commentary Okay. So I listened to it with a commentary because I felt I knew this movie as well sure. as I did. Um, 
why not get a little bit more background? Let me ask you this. Can you identify readily which scenes were added? Okay. It did help that as I was listening to the commentary, they would say, oh, and here's a deleted scene. (laughs) But I could have easily... You could have called them out. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And there there weren't that many... um, and some of them, I totally get why they why they cut them. Okay. Others, I I would have loved to have had. Like, <laughs> I feel like they're good scenes. Like the the cinematography and whatnot was was really pretty good. But in the end, you, you cut it for time. Um, sure. Which I just remember, I can't I can't recall what movie it was, but the first time I ever saw a movie, a DVD of a movie that I liked, and it said you know extended edition with deleted scenes. I sat down and I watched the whole movie, and I thought, I can't think of what they added (laughs) and so i actually had to go get the other movie and watch it side by side and they only added like 13 seconds of film sure and i thought boy i feel like i've been ripped off here (laughs) right yeah yeah uh and this one no definitely uh several scenes that uh, were additions to it good uh anyway so you watch the normal version yes the version that i've had since at least 1999 yeah, so the commentary I listened to had the co-writers, uh, Dean Devlin and Roland uh, Emmerich. Yep. And Roland Emmerich was also the director on it, and Dean Devlin was the executive producer. Um, so these were the guys who is basically their story. Boy, I feel like that name, Dean Devlin, I should know that from something. Mm, was he involved in Burn Notice? I don't know. I didn't bother to ever go and look anybody up uh, from this. Matter of fact, one of my favorite art, uh, actors who's in this is... I didn't bother to look up his name either. Um, anyway, well, let's maybe jump into the movie itself. Okay. Um, it starts off with some close-ups, and it's going... You know, it's panning around this thing, and as it goes on and on, you realize there's more and more artisticness yeah. to it, till it eventually is seen this... Um, the mask or something that would belong on top of a sarcophagus, you know, ancient Egypt kind and of thing. Great music. I really love this music. <clears throat> yeah. Le- the music throughout the whole thing yeah. is really just fantastic. Um, did, they did a wonderful job on it. Um, I, and nothing ever seems over the top. Yeah. I'm with you. By the way, Dean Devlin leverage. That's, that's where I, Oh, that's the, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. Um. All right. So one of the things that differs is the beginning. Um, the beginning for you has what? Has the uh, little boy getting taken by the starship. Really? Yeah. That is also in this. And the, they talked about how that was a change from what was in the theater. Okay. So maybe you watched a different uh, editor. So I, I cut don't. I don't. I don't think mine was the theatrical release. I think it was the first DVD release. But I do remember that there were a few things that were different from the theatrical release. Yeah. So was, we start out eight thousand BC in Africa, um, and the aliens arrive, and they take up that guy. One of the the interesting things is the the actor who ends up playing Ra, who's the guy who's taken um i i don't remember his name jay something okay good um apparently if you look at that scene they don't film his nipples 
and he's shirtless. Okay. I mean, he's basically just wearing a loincloth. And the reason they don't shoot, they don't show you his nipples because he's underage. <laughs> no. Oh, so dumb. <laughs> well, they show all the other kids. I don't know. <laughs> that didn't make any sense. It was because he had nipple piercings, and he refused to take them out for the shooting of the movie. Interesting. So they just kept the camera up. (laughs) Yes. And if you look at all of the costumes he wears, like, they're just right about here. Okay. And um, it it was, that was one of the things that uh, these guys mentioned, and I thought... Would never have known that. Why would an actor not take that out? Like, why would they, you know, refuse? Look, body art is a lifestyle choice, Pete. And how dare you judge him? Um, okay. Is that what they call it? Body art? Did I get the right term in there? I, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know that that's Self-mutilation? A thing. <laughs> Self-mutilation? That seems like the wrong term. Okay, that's probably not the right one. Yeah. Um... Okay, my next uh, uh, thing here is about the pyramid uh, that they uh, showed. Oh, oh, oh. In Giza? <clears throat> yeah, In the Giza. 1920s or whatever? Yes. So we pan in and uh, we see the pyramids. We see, you know, apparently all of that stuff was digitally put in. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was a big surprise to me because it looks It does look very, very good. Very, very good. And it doesn't look bad. I do remember hearing at the time this movie was made that a big part of this movie was using CGI to keep uh, set costs down Mm -hmm. and location shooting down. One of the other things, as they're panning around in that Giza shot, all of the people who are close, the workers, you know, Uh down in the pits and doing stuff, all real, but... When they were, you know, looking at a, a far off screen. Okay. The, the crowd. Yeah. Like kind of, you know, people on the hills in the background. All they, digital? Stick figures. Really? Stick figures. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch that. <laughs> that was really pretty funny uh, to learn that they were stick figure extras. Um, Let's see here. Extra scene. The Dead Warriors. So we know down in the Giza pit. They find the Stargate. They find the Stargate. They find the cover stone that had been over the the Stargate. Mm-hmm. As they're, they show a scene where they're lifting the cover stone up, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is that? What is that down there? And, you know, these people are all swarming around it, and they come in on this shot, and it's showing the the warriors that like the, so after the 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 stargate had been buried and the capstone put on it there were warriors who had been sent through but they materialized directly oh, into rock. into the stone yeah interesting yes yeah, so they had these things perfectly preserved and you could see you know they were kind of all twisted up and you know okay. mangled uh but they had these things right here so like so ra had been sending people through trying to get back in here Directly after, yes, right. the, the revolt and, and whatnot. Um, so that kind of plays an interesting part because it's not used in the movie, but a few actors, a few of the characters knew about it. So Colonel O'Neill knew 
about those warriors. Oh, really? So that's why the so bomb he, and everything. Uh, yes. Yes, for sure. Uh, but it was more of he knew what could be on the other side yeah. if they were to go through. Interesting. Yeah. That's uh, that's one of the things. The, I wonder that, if that, that answers my about. questions. I have some questions about Stargate physics that <laughs> the physics of it. Yeah, I'm not sure you should try and answer those questions. I'm not going to try and answer them. I'm just going to point them out as what I thought were logical inconsistencies, but perhaps they were explained. We'll get into it. All right, sure. Uh, the next thing I uh, want to bring out is the old lady who plays the role of Catherine. Okay, her name apparently is Vivica Lintford. This was the last film that she filmed before she died. Really? Yes. So apparently this was it for her. And what a swan song to go out on. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so I, I've i got us cutting in next to uh, the scene where Dr. Jackson is uh, there explaining his theories. Yep. And, uh, you know, everyone is laughing at him because it seems so ridiculous. <laughs> and he doesn't even specifically say they're aliens. He just says... Yeah, everything we know about it is false and it's wrong. And well, who do you think built the pyramids? <laughs> One of the guys asks. And he says, I don't know. And everyone laughs at him for that. But, you know, lack of evidence is not an evidence of lack. It's a mm -hmm. classic logical fallacy to fall into. Just because I can't tell you where they did come from doesn't mean that your assumption about where they came from is right. Right. Exactly. And I like everybody gets up and leaves. And I, I like Dr. Jackson when he says... Is there a lunch or something that I, that everybody. <laughs> so they, uh, you know, it, it, it ends and it turns out that the Air Force is actually interested in Dr. Jackson and he's got nothing else. You know, he's kind of down on his luck kind of guy. Um, and that somehow that old lady is tied into the Air Force. Uh-huh. Because you know who that old lady is, right? She's the little girl that was at the dig site. I'm just saying it was not clear from the dig site part of the movie that the Air Force would be involved in that at all. No, I think it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, I, I don't even know when they found this in Giza. 1928, I believe, is when it said okay, on the movie. So perhaps the U.S. military, after the Germans lost the war, came in and took this thing Maybe. back. All I'm saying is I thought it was an important point to call out because we don't know that when we first see her kind of wandering around the convention or whatever that is that is going on, symposium, uh, it's just this old lady wandering around and poking her head in. Yeah, but she's she's got that chain around her neck. I know. I'm saying the tie to the Air Force is what I'm talking about. I thought it was interesting. It's just I, the way I think, look of it is it's just the, the government has gotten involved yeah. at some aspect of it. Okay. They own it. They control it. It's theirs. Look, I'm trying to put a forward a conspiracy theory, and you're getting in my way. <laughs> Seems far-fetched, <laughs> but that, that doesn't stop conspiracy theorists the world <laughs> around. Uh, my question to you is, would you accept that offer? Yeah. You would? Yeah. I don't think I could. 
I, I, I mean, what else did I have? Doesn't matter. And it's not as though she was saying, you better come here or we're going to kill you or this is... I would be terrified that I would never be allowed to leave that military installation. Yeah, but she doesn't say that to him. No, she doesn't. I'm saying that's that would be my first assumption. When the government offered me money, I'm like, oh, you're just trying to shut me up. Wow, you are kind of weird. You are. You do have just, a conspiracy theory. Just because over there. I'm a little bit paranoid doesn't mean no one's out to get me. Um. All right. Um. Let's see here. Oh, we meet uh, Colonel O'Neill. Yes. Played so, by Kurt Russell. I really like Colonel O'Neill as played by Kurt Russell. For sure. He's Never awesome. really got into Colonel O'Neill as played by Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, I did. I I kept waiting for this guy. And instead, he was kind of more goofy, more more humor to him, I think you could say. Well, think about it. The Colonel O'Neill that we know from Stargate SG-1, as played by Richard Dean Anderson, is someone who's more whole. The Colonel O'Neill that we have that's played by Kurt Russell is broken. Yeah. And it's not until the end of the movie that he really okay. has changed, you know, with the relationship that he has with Skara. Um, it's different person uh i don't blame you for not liking somebody who isn't kurt russell because he did an amazing job really did. In, in that movie and one of the interesting things is when they're talking about him the the writers here say you know he's really an underrated actor i thought is he <laughs> <laughs> who thinks that <laughs> because they talk about how he can do so much with so little I've always thought of him as a great actor. Uh, so do I. <laughs> I think, I mean, granted, he gets this little niche of, you know... The a, action. A, an action actor, although he has done other things. Uh, but I've I've never once thought, oh, okay, that was a terrible role that, uh, that you yeah. just played. I don't know. Uh, he's ready to eat his own gun. Uh, turns out he... His son accidentally shot and killed himself with his own with Colonel O'Neill's gun. So, you know, he's he's pretty messed up over that. Um but he is reactivated. And uh General West calls him back to active duty. Cut over to, to Cheyenne Mountain. We have uh um, Creek Mountain. Uh is that what it was? Creek Mountain, Colorado. Okay, cool. Um and and it feels so war games this military installation i'm saying like the the ti- the the setup of all the computers and the elevator and the hallways and everything it feels very much like we're watching the movie war games back in you know what was that 1982 or 83 maybe they they didn't say this but maybe they borrowed that, that look set. and feel yeah. uh for this i mean i don't know i, I don't know either i just thought wow I don't remember thinking this in 1994, but now I look at that and go, that is such old school tech that those guys are working with. Uh, well, I mean, comparatively it's, now. No, but like even to 1994, you know, they're still doing toggle switches and things like that to do things. <laughs> uh, he comes in and we meet a few different people. Uh, one of the fun things for me is the actor Richard Kind. Yeah, uh, is in this, and he, he plays a bit part, um, but I really like Richard Kind. I, I always too. like that line when they walk into one. Well, it'll be later on, but it says "monitors up," like <laughs> that line. I don't know why. <laughs> I've always got stuck in my head. Uh, 
yeah. Anyway, so um, the uh, the cornerstone, the cover stones need translating. Uh, Doctor Jackson comes in and he's like, "Oh, what's this stuff here? No, this is all wrong." Talks about uh, it's not door to heaven. It's, it's Stargate. A Stargate. Um, and so he begins that process of 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 translating it and and kind of showing up Richard Kind's character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My question is, and this is one of the problems that I have with the movie. I get that this is a military thing, but why tell him so little? Yeah. Why why in the world wouldn't you want to give him as much information as you possibly could and then let him solve it and then kill him? <laughs> Yeah, the the only explanation I can come up with is bureaucracy. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so O'Neill comes in and he interrupts the conversation. He's like, "No more information goes to Daniel because he's not cleared." Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then he turns and he strides purposefully out of the room, and he gets quite a ways down the hall. When we see the old lady kind of still hanging back and she says, I'm going to go find out what's going on here. And somehow she catches up to him with her little casual old lady stroll. And he's purposefully striding down the halls and she catches him. Yeah. One of the extra scenes was that uh, someone comes up to Colonel O'Neill and have him signed a bunch of paperwork. So okay. he, he got caught. That's so there you what, go. That's one, of the, that's one of the gaps that was filled in by the yeah, I made extra footage. Up. Oh. But it's completely plausible. You just believed it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, Jackson, he solves it. He figures it out that these are actually constellations. Yep. So here's, here's my question. Uh-huh. Before he figures it out, he's leaving the room to get water for the coffee pot. He has to show his security clearance to leave the room. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that, why Why would you be checking it there? Normally, okay, if you're already in there, go ahead and leave. It's weird to me, too. The only thing I can think of is this is his normal room, and he normally enters from some other direction, and he has to come over here just to get a pot water. of coffee. So it's a different door that he's exiting out of. It, I'm with you, though. It kind of doesn't really make sense at all. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So I have a problem with constellations. Can't see them? Well, yes. There's that. <laughs> it just sort of seems like, oh, okay, what's that thing up there? You know, oh. It, it is, I don't want to say arbitrary, but one particular culture says hey, these are our constellations because we can see them from where we are at. Mm-hmm. So the the constellations that are on this would have been from where exactly? I mean, granted, we see Orion, mm-hmm. which is a pretty big one and is probably fairly recognizable, I guess. But where are the rest of those constellations coming from? Like, that part, to me, just kind of doesn't really fit. Well, so they they show us Orion, and we know that from a longitudinal standpoint that Orion looks like Orion in Greece, which means it probably looks like Orion in Africa, which is, you know, Egypt, which is where I assume 
the cover stone was made. And Orion is the only constellation that they actually bothered to decipher for us. Correct. That's very true. And, and very so true. I think it's actually well covered in the story that – and by well covered, I mean well covered up <laughs> in the writing that, okay, we're not going to explain any other than Orion because we can for sure say that Orion looks the same over there. And we're not going to try and just do figure out what the rest of them are because it's too much work and, and then we have to explain it. <laughs> Let's not take on that work. Good. Okay. Um Let's see here. Oh, he explains everything to the brass, and they yep. finally say, show him the thing. He did in 14 days what you couldn't do in two years. And I think I get the impression that Jackson feels a little bit bad. Like He's like, that took you two years? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they say, uh, no, that symbol is nowhere on the device. What device? And they open up the gate or the, the blast door. And there's the Stargate. Yes. Now, this is my first uh, confusion about the mechanics of Stargates. The physical mechanics of Stargates. Okay. I don't understand locking the Chevron in. What are they actually doing when they say the first Chevron locked? I mean, they're not freezing the wheel in place, obviously, or because the, the wheel continues to spin. Okay. I, I don't understand what it, what it means to lock the chevrons in place, and I don't feel like it's shown well in the video. Okay, so all of the um, constellation options are on this big wheel. Right. And it circles round and round and round and round. And there are seven chevrons around the outside. Correct. So each chevron, as the thing spins around, it'll say, okay, this is the one I want, juju locks it in place as though in memory banks. Okay. Because it is a... And the the TV show definitely gets into explaining this a little bit more. Definitely doesn't get covered in the movies. Um, in the movie. Uh, it, because it is... It is just kind of glossed over. the Each one of the... Because as the thing spins around, not every... It's not going to be in the same place for each time it right. gets locked in. So... Some sort of internal memory happens to capture all of that. Okay, so my, my next question is, how did the Stargate get turned in ancient times? Because there's a lot of machinery around that Stargate to make that wheel turn. Agreed. I want yeah. to know. And and furthermore, the Stargate on the other side, how did they turn that one? Because they never show us that happening. No, they don't. Or how the Chevrons get locked in on the other side. No, they don't. Uh, I'm curious about that. I uh, the, Again, this goes back to the TV show. And I, I want to just call out this because the, the writers, Devlin and uh, Emmerich, talked about how they had nothing to do with the TV series. Oh, really? And they made that point explicitly <laughs> clear. It's like, oh, yeah, they even use a couple of these scenes from the, you know, on the TV series. And I just want to be clear to everyone, we had nothing to do with the TV series at all. So here's what I do know about the TV series is that it was part of the studio when, when they came, to, when Emmerich came to the studio with the idea to film Stargate, he wanted, I think it was $56 million dollars. And they didn't want to give him that much money. So what they did is they went out in advance and sold to Showtime mm. the rights to an eventual TV show based on it. Right, okay. So they had already pre-sold those rights before they ever gave Emmerich a dime to That's go make neat. Stargate. That's interesting. Not mentioned by, by these guys at <laughs> all. Um, okay, that's cool. 
Um, anyway, so on the TV show, the way that they explain it is there is a device off to the side that contains all of them. Oh, they okay. call it the dial-in device. So you oh, would go I do up remember to I'm it, talking about a DID. and you would push all of the different things. I assume it would spin around and lock each one okay. of the chevrons in, and then boom, there you go. Okay. Okay, let's see here. Um, the water effect. I have to say, to this day, this remains one of the coolest pieces of special effects in a movie. So awesome. So brilliantly done. So what they did is they had uh, this clear tube where they filmed this full of water. And so the scene where it first opens up and you get this, and it comes out, they dropped a big heavy ball or some object into it and blew water to cavitate in to get the look of that. So that's what that is. And then, of course... The swirling, you can figure that sure, out. Sure, yeah, it's a vortex. That, but that—that's how they did that particular. Very cool thing. It is. It looks absolutely amazing. Um. Okay. It was water. Uh. Probe. <laughs> okay. This. This. I'm not even going to bother to try and explain. Okay. Uh, I know exactly what you're about to say. Doesn't make any sense. So they open it up. A probe comes wheeled in. The probe goes through. And somehow, these computers here on Earth can track (laughs) through the universe where that probe is going. And not just through the, like, it's moving around, like, on the little board. And I, it, it frustrates me that it, why even bother to show that? It doesn't help the story in any regard. It doesn't help the story. It was funny. They travel to some other location, and the probe can send back telemetry and data via that Stargate. That part it makes sense. I'm good with that. But the fact that they can track this thing. An- an- another through. part of this scene that really made me laugh was when, after the probe has first been sent through, uh, Richard Kind says, I wrote it down somewhere on here. Record all the information from the probe. <laughs> Is that really something somebody needed to be told? Oh, you're right. Like, <laughs> well, why didn't I think of that? We should have been recording the whole time. Well, to be fair, um, you know, as a project manager, you assume that your developers <laughs> are doing certain things. It just makes sense. Nice. Sometimes you just got to go around and say, "Hey, are you recording this stuff?" Good pivot. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so I have an extra scene that comes up after okay. this. Um, and it is o- Colonel O'Neill coming into a special secure room and looking at those warriors that had been found underneath the cover stone. Really? Yep. And then okay. General West comes in and follows him, and they have a very brief scene where they talk about uh, nothing really. But it's sort of like, hey, you ready for this? Yeah, I can handle this. Okay. Yeah. So one of the the tensions that they try to build here is this idea that, well, if we go through, can we decipher the codes on the other side of the gate to reopen the Stargate? Yep. And come back through. Now, my this is this is the second instance where I'm like, I just feel like the physics of this it, it's not working for me because 
How does everyone just magically know that a Stargate is a one-way door? This is the first time we've ever opened one. Right. Okay. Everyone just automatically, even French Stewart of all people, (laughs) (laughs) knows that this is a one-way process. And I don't understand how they all know suddenly so much about the workings of Stargates. Yeah, I don't know either. I think the, the idea is, okay, we went through... We took some pictures, and we can see that there is a Stargate on the other side that has markings on it just like ours. So the extrapolation of, oh, it must function just like ours, see, that, that the, part of it makes sense to me. All of that makes sense to me. But I, I would assume, in fact, it still makes more sense to me, that a Stargate is more like a telephone than some kind of magic one-way portal. Where a telephone, no matter who picks it up and dials, when the person answers at the other end, it is now a two-way stream of communication. And there's no reason to believe from the information we have thus far that they couldn't just say, okay, meet back at the Stargate in three days and we'll open it up from this side and you guys can come on back through. Now, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to pick this movie to death, but I just feel like I would have liked to have seen the writers have them try that and go, oh, shoot, we can't get back through. Now we have to decode. That to me would have been a more interesting and, and more world consistent way sure. yeah, of introducing maybe, uh, that problem. As, as a device that might make, uh, help that particular uh, plot point a little bit more, but uh, I don't know. It's, here's the thing. I don't care. Okay. And it's not in a way of like, I'm just... No, 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 I'm with you. It's not something I care about either other than the fact that I was sitting down to watch this for the podcast and it made me think about things that before I just kind of said, you know what? I am so entertained, I'm not going to pick this movie apart. Yeah, I just go along for the ride. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. Uh, So they're, they're all packing, getting ready for this mission to go through the other side of the Stargate and we see that Daniel Jackson is packing Fifth Avenue bars. Yeah. I don't know why. That is one of the most terrible candy bars in existence. <laughs> what Did we actually see him packing them? Yes. Or... He has like three of them, and he's rolling them up in his clothes that he's putting in his bag that he's stuffing. Oh, I missed that completely. Yeah, it's a total hero shot of the Fifth Avenue candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, you, when you've got Fifth Avenue candy bar money coming at you, you've got to make sure <laughs> that uh, it gets I, a prominent place. In, I, I think in, you're thinking in, of hundred grand. <laughs> no, I just meant they were paying to advertise. Yes, and get clearly they were. I just thought, boy, couldn't they have gotten like Butterfinger or you know a candy bar people actually enjoy, <laughs> like Necco wafers? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, they go through. Okay, so now is my third technical question about the Stargate. What determines how long a Stargate stays open? Yeah, it seems to be based on the speed of plot. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> is, and that was one of the things that the writers called out. Oh, really? They said um, when we filmed this, like the the very first time it goes through, it's short, and it's you know, it 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 doesn't go, it doesn't hang out for very long. But when the actors are going through, suddenly it became longer, and the reason is because we felt that it was important that the actors needed to act with this thing. Sure, they needed to react to it. And so they said, I want you to guys to go up there and you are going to be, you're, 
I just want you to do whatever your character would do for the first time you're going through this. I don't want to tell you how your character acts. And so that's why you get people who do different things, like Colonel O'Neill grits his teeth. The true through. warrior just goes right on through. And uh, Dr. Black. Jackson, he's just sort of like... Experimenting. Yeah, playing with this. It. It's like, hmm, this is neat. This is interesting. Uh, uh, so that scene right there, every time fills me with a deep jealousy that uh, I can't be Dr. Jackson uh, in that moment. I would just give almost anything to have that experience of standing in front of that Stargate and putting my face into it just barely. <laughs> oh, so cool. Yeah, and when he comes through and you see that the picture of his of his face coming through, it's really, I, I think, uh, uh, quintessential moments. So they come through. They're inside this structure. <laughs> they end up coming outside of that structure. Interesting thing that I learned from the commentary is that 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 building that uh-huh. structure, one hundred percent real, and it was like that seven, wasn't CGI'd. That was not the the pyramid behind it was okay, okay. Um, but the uh, the that structure was completely one hundred percent real and was like seven stories tall. They said. Wow. It was, yeah, it was really, really big. You know, we skipped over two things that I wanted to cover here. Uh, the first is the actual Stargate travel itself. Okay. Which to me, again, still ranks as one of the coolest things. I remember sitting in the movie theater and when that screen goes black and the yes. white things start to filter yeah. in the needles. So cool. Still just kind of gives me chills down my back when I watch that scene. Yep. The, the writers talked about how that is... Uh, a moment that when that first was shown, everyone was like, whoa, this is totally awesome. Which is why at the end of the film, they show it again because they want yep. to yep. show off this really cool thing to, to everybody. Plus, he spent all that money. Why not use it more than <laughs> once? But uh, And then the second thing I wanted to mention is just when uh, when Jackson comes through and he kind of stumbles and he's down on the ground. He's obviously, this is a, a physically demanding uh-huh. event that just happened to them. And the... Was it Sergeant Black? The, uh. the the black guy comes over and he says, it's okay, Dr. Jackson, just work through it. Nobody's laughing at you. To point out all the other soldiers also had trouble getting through this event. Nobody's laughing at you? Yeah, that's what he says. Uh, I remember him saying it wears off pretty quick. Huh, I totally heard nobody's laughing at you. In fact, I rewound <laughs> it and listened to it a second time. Fortunately, my DVD doesn't have subtitles. so <laughs> That's funny that we get two different things there. Very different. Like the, I don't even see how one could sound like the other one. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, all of the soldiers are acting like jerks to Dr. Jackson. Did you notice the one guy has an early model of a tricorder? Yeah. <laughs> He's got this thing strapped to his chest. I was like... That is totally a tricorder. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, he uses it later on down at the mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I noticed that uh, as well. Um, here's the thing. Jackson never said, oh, I know everything here. It's just he said, I can get us back. I can. Right. But he has to have the information there. And he's saying, look, that information isn't here. And everyone gets pissy at him. I, I don't feel like. This is Jackson's fault. To be fair, I feel like he overstated his capabilities a little bit. He made that assumption that the cartouche would be right there somewhere. 
And he didn't say that though. He did. He said, I assumed it would just be right here. He actually says that as a line. And, and the one, I think it's Kowalski who said, you just assumed you put all of our lives, lives at risk and you didn't tell anyone that you were going to have to find this cartouche. Like, I get that there probably should have been some people involved in the project who should have been able to put two and two together and say, now, wait a minute, Dr. Jackson, how are you going to know what the seven symbols are when you get to the other end? But the military guys are not the ones who should have thought of that. And their surprise at that, I think, is totally genuine and believable. Okay. Um, so we see the bomb for the first time. We go in... Uh and yep. Colonel O'Neill's putting it together, and uh, I, I get why you send a nuke through. You know, I mean, paranoia. Am I right? <laughs> but uh, why start assembling it right now? That seems a little premature. It does. It does seem a little bit weird to me as well. Uh, Jackson's double take when he sees the pyramid is fantastic. <laughs> he did because uh, O'Neill turns around and sees it and is just kind of like, "Whoa, what?" And Jackson turns around and. What the? <laughs> I was not expecting that one. Plus, I loved the three moons in yep. the sky. Very cool. Yep. Um. So we uh, after the guys are jerks to him, they throw his stuff around. He wanders off and he follows these footsteps <laughs> um, to a a beast that is called a mastage. Oh, really? Because I was pretty sure these were the guys from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know how this thing worked? Yeah. It was actually when it moved around, it was a Clydesdale horse. Oh, really? With this thing over the top of it. And it wasn't, I mean, the thing wasn't terribly, like, it looked real, but it didn't, like, move right. like a real animal. Oh, yeah. Kind when of it, thing. Like, the it worst was, is the tongue? Yes. That the, was the horrible. Tongue, the tongue is really terrible. Anyway, when it... Who, who licks something by putting their tongue out and they're moving their head back in the <laughs> <laughs> um, After... Uh, um, so when it runs and, you know, Colonel Jack... Or, uh, uh, Dr. Jackson gets caught into this, there are scenes where he's getting pulled. Uh-huh. Some scenes are of a stuntman and the Clydesdale pulling... A real actor. Okay. Other scenes are of a dog with a costume over the top of it pulling a puppet. <laughs> oh, and so all and of the that different now. scenes, they're like, if it looks far away, it's the dog it's and the, the dog. puppet. <laughs> if it's like right up close, it's the horse and the, that makes, and the actor. That actually kind of explains something because I thought, boy, that thing got really far away really fast. And it's just because it's smaller. <laughs> Um, okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, okay, we eventually come to the mining Humans, yeah. pit. Interesting aside from, from the guys, there were, in that scene, 1,800 extras. Wow. And 2,000 stick figures inside that quarry. That's crazy. To, to help out on those shots. And you know, now it would all be Weta. Yeah, it It'd would be like two guys. They, <laughs> they, they talked about how, you know, in a couple of times in the commentary about how this would be done differently nowadays. It would be done all with CGI if we needed to have all of these different people because of the advances that they've made with uh, with computer animation. So they, they definitely called it out. 
Um, oh, we meet uh, Skara for the first time. Okay. Who is the son of the leader of all of these people um, and an important uh, And brother kid. to Shaurui. Shaurui? I can't say Shaurui. it. Thank you. Shaurui. Uh, yes. <laughs> so the question is raised, and the, the writers talk about this a little bit. When you meet an alien culture for the first time, how is it that you're going to communicate with them? What What is going to be the means of communication? Math. Math? Okay. But once you get past 2 plus 2 is 4, where do you go from there? You start identifying objects around you? <laughs> okay. But, you know, is it going to be Spoon. gestures? I mean, they're clearly talking as yeah, though, yeah. like, hey, hey, no, we're okay. Yeah, see, we're... And I, I don't know what I would say. Like, yeah. you know, what what did the people who came from uh, the old world talk to the people, you know, from the new world? Like, what was that like? Um and that's something that I hadn't really, you know, thought much of from this movie from all the other times I'd watched okay. it. But it's very clear, like, communication is a difficult thing, which is why they don't show um, the subtitles at the beginning. I wondered about that, if that was on purpose to put the audience in that awkwardness. Yep, it absolutely was. And it isn't until after... Uh, uh, Daniel Jackson and Shaori, um, you know, make their connection that we see the subtitles come in and be used because now we finally understand. We are, right. you know, part of the this journey. We can understand them now. So cool, absolutely. The the device that they use for that. Um, okay, the the main guy who's in charge of the tribe, uh, Kasuf, is his name. I love that actor. Yep. I think he is wonderful. What's his name? I don't know. Okay. I didn't bother to go okay. and look him up. He's wonderful, though. I absolutely love him. I always want to call him Ben Kingsley, even though I know he's, he's not. He's not Ben Kingsley. I know he's not. <laughs> um, uh, then we also see Shouty, and uh, they talked a little bit about her, and she is an Egyptian, uh, half Egyptian, half Israeli woman. Um, and uh, they just saw her and really kind of just fell in love with her and offered the job to her kind of on the spot right on. sort of thing um, because she was just so striking. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Yep, I already mentioned they have the tricorder device which scans the minerals. Um, so they're walking towards the city, and as they're coming up to the city... You, we see a shot of the of the city. Yep. Everything is CGI except for the two main pillars and the the doorway. Okay. And those were also completely built in. Um, I think uh, some of it was like foam uh, that was shaped and, and molded to to get everything just right. Um, and so for some of the scenes that are going to be right there when they're shutting the doors, those are real. Uh, those are all real. Um. Oh, extra scene. They try to leave because all of a sudden they're they're coming in and they show you know the symbol of Ra. Uh-huh. They try to leave. Um. Or sorry, 
all of a sudden the people are freaking out. They're, they're blowing a horn. Right. And they, they shut go the doors. and shut the doors. That was in my version. But do you see them trying to leave? To take the guy. They take some people hostage. and Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and he, uh, Scar takes Jackson O'Neill up, uh-huh. and they see he's like, "Oh, it's a sandstorm that's coming. Stand down, everybody!" And you get this great moment with Kowalski and what? What's the leader's name again? Um, Kasuf. Kasuf, and he's like trying. He says, "Yeah, I'm sorry," and he bows to him, <laughs> and Kasuf bows deeper back. And I, I just thought that was good. It's a great moment for the character of Kowalski, uh-huh. who I actually really like in this movie. I think he's a great character. Yeah, he is. Uh, and you know, you, you can see him awkwardly just trying to make some kind of connection to these people <laughs> <laughs> that he just was holding at gunpoint seconds he's ago. Like, eh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Sorry. <laughs> Um, that was funny. Okay, the um, <laughs> it tastes like chicken. That's my next note. <laughs> yeah, eating foreign food. No, um, that <laughs> that's got to be a pretty scary th- sort of thing to do. Um, th- we come to find out that uh, writing is forbidden. Uh, Jackson tries to you know write out the symbol of raw, and that's brushed over and then the leader is like oh no 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 and they rush him away and they here, here marry my daughter instead uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was funny the uh the writers talked about how james spader was really afraid of those women they were um uh mexican women that they hired this was uh, this was being filmed in arizona okay uh these scenes and they were mexican women and they took their job really seriously <laughs> so they weren't just actors you know doing a thing like they were coming in there and really scrubbing him down and doing all of these things and then the the writer said that uh, james spader was really kind of afraid of these women because nice. of of how serious they took their job um okay shouty comes in and um Turned, we find out later that he's just married her yeah. as part of their custom. Um, but he tries to start to talk to her and communicate with her. And he tries to, you know, draw some things out. And she it was like, no, no, don't do this. And he, she corrects things, though. Yeah. She draws out. A, Very bold. Yeah. Draws out a different thing. And then. She draws the symbol for Earth. And. Jackson's like, where did you, where have you seen this before? And show me. And they're, they're going to go off and, and find uh, some things. In the meantime, a spaceship lands on the pyramid. <laughs> You're skipping over a French Stewart scene. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. They're in the sandstorm. They, because the base camp is, in, is out in, in the, exposed to the sandstorm, they all head into the structure. Mm hmm. And they're all down there in the structure. And French Stewart's character says, man, I was stationed in the Middle East and I never saw anything like this. Uh-huh. Like, well, yes, clearly an alien planet and the Middle East are pretty much exactly the same thing. I'm, I'm glad you felt you could point that out to all of us. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I hate French Stewart as an actor. I really do. I don't know how that man keeps getting the job. <laughs> I I don't even know what is he doing right now. I don't know, but he was on Third Rock for a long time. Well, yeah, he was one of the main characters. Yeah. 
Terrible. Terrible man. Okay. So the they use a device in here, and they actually talked about this, of when they are attacking the soldiers. And you don't ever see them. Oh, okay. You see shadows of them. And they talk about how things are actually scarier when you can't see them. When you don't know what's coming, you're not sure how to deal with the thing because you don't know what's around the corner. Right. Um, but the real reason why they did it as a POV shot was because they realized once they got these guys into their getup, it was really awkward for them to have to move around in. And so they decided, okay, let's make this a POV shot instead of filming them, you know, trying to come around and, you know, fight with these guys hand to hand. Okay. And I'm actually really glad that they didn't do, you know, a shot like that because I I, I agree. I think it is scarier when you don't know what's coming, when you keep away the thing that is supposed to be as scary as it is. Now, one of the things I noticed, I, I came in as you were watching uh, on your DVD and one of the things I noticed that was different between my DVD and yours is that on yours, when they were in the POV shots, it seemed like the edges of the screen were kind of occluded a little bit. Like they were trying to give us that there's kind of like this tunnel vision effect when they're in, the, in that headgear. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed no. it. I noticed it because my TV doesn't do that. Like my DVD didn't have that effect. Well, could that not just be a symptom of the fact that even our color was different? Like I, I know the brightness the co- and contrast. And yes, I know was, the coloration was different. Was different. I, I mentioned that, but there was this kind of blackness around the soft, fuzzy black around the edges when they were showing the POV shots. I thought that's interesting. My DVD doesn't have that at all. Mm, I don't know. Never noticed. Okay, uh, we have the smoking scene with uh, Colonel O'Neill and Scara. <laughs> that's messed up. <laughs> Let me just say that. That is messed up. To do that to someone who's never smoked before. And he did it on purpose. Yep. He showed him. Yep. He took a puff and then he... <sighs> and looked <laughs> over at him as though daring him yep, to do absolutely. that. That is such a messed up thing to do. And of course I, the kid gags. And then he's like, you know what? Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> they <laughs> are kind of stupid. <laughs> and it was funny. The the writers called this their anti-smoking scene. Okay. <laughs> um, then uh, Colonel O'Neill overreacts about the gun stuff when uh, Scar tries to reach for it. Yeah. And everyone else is uh, like the other actor, the other um, uh, military people is sort of like, eh, that's weird. Like, why would you overreact about that? Um, and it is definitely the callback sure. to his son. And that's that's the reason for the overreaction. Uh, we cut over to the hidden catacombs. And we see that there is writing. And we begin to see language start to form between um, Dr. Jackson and Shouty. Because she's correcting him on things as he's pointing to the wall... Like you talked about, you know, hey, let's just start pointing at objects and see if we can figure out what this thing means. <laughs> um, and it it seems interesting to me, and maybe this is another hole in the movie, is they're pointing at various things. Seems to me like Shouty knows how to read already. And if reading and writing are outlawed, 
how is it that she has learned to read? Well, I think you're right. I think we do have clear evidence that she knows how to read. But it's done in these secret catacombs. So clearly it's something that they were going to follow the public stricture against reading and writing because he had that raw necklace on. They thought he was there representing raw. And so they're like, oh, you're here representing raw. We need to follow the law that Ra gave us that we not learn to read and write. But secretly, all of them know how to read and write. That's been my interpretation all no, along. No, no way. No way. Because if you look at those catacombs, they weren't, they were a shamble. They weren't well kept together. It, it didn't look like anyone had been going in there. I interpret that differently. Um, let's see here. So I never, I could never really understand the pyramid and the ship that lands on top of the pyramid. Uh-huh. Basically, the pyramids are a landing pad for the ship. Yep. And the ship is just the outer shell. Yep. There's nothing in the middle of the ship. Not as far as I know. Okay. That's, you know. I mean, it I, wouldn't make sense otherwise. Well, I. Physiologically, it yes, wouldn't make sense. I agree. It wouldn't make sense. But it doesn't make sense that the pyramid is a landing pad either. So. <laughs> oh. Uh, we get more of the history of the alien. Um, it's explained. And uh, um, let's see here. Oh, they find that they're missing the seventh symbol. Yep. It's, it's been completely rubbed off. It's it's not there anymore. Um, and then they're leaving. They're heading back towards the, the pyramid and that structure. And they have the shot of Shouty. That she's got that purple thing around her. I don't know about you, but it absolutely makes me think of the National Geographic little girl. I don't know that. It's very famous. I I bet if you were to Google National Geographic girl, they took this picture, and I believe it was from Afghanistan back in the 70s. And it's this iconic picture of this girl um, just kind of, you know, with something wrapped around her head. Anyway... It, during the the war in Afghanistan, they actually managed to find her again, and they took another picture as she's gotten much much older. Um, anyway, it, it's every time I look at that, I think, "Wow, that is the connection is so incredibly okay. strong." I have seen that yep. picture before. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. I also think of the IL from uh, Wheel of Time. The Aiel, yeah, um, because of how she looks. She's got the shufa around her head. That's what I imagine the Aiel shufa looks like. Oh, yeah. The way I imagine that is it. It actually like more covered up their face, though. I, I I can see why you would, but for me, I think I was reading book three of the Wheel of Time when this movie came out. Okay, and so like there was a lot of concurrency going on. And and so I was like, oh, I just kind of blended those two mm. visual images in my mind for many years. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Apparently there are transporter issues. <laughs> and enter raw. So they, they do have, they, they at this point somewhere, they use the teleportation device. Uh-huh. And the note I made is, I mean, sure. 
if you have Stargate technology, why develop stair technology? Just <laughs> teleport everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, we are. We do meet Raw. Um, okay, so when the ship opens up for the first time, yeah, for how big of a structure that has to be, it's moving really fast. I mean, it's obviously CGI that's mm-hmm. that's move that's opening up, but like the proportion has always seemed a little bit off to me. I'm like, boy, for that big of a structure to move that far in just a few seconds, that's got to be moving really, really fast. Just something that always, even the first time I watched it, I thought through it. I was like, wow, that, that thing is really moving quick. Um, so the city gets attacked. You know, Ross sends out these people, and uh, Dr. Jackson ends up being healed because he's shot as uh, O'Neill tries to fight all of these different people. And, and then can't shoot the kids? Yep. Children swarm around, and that's one of the things that the writers talk about. This is how despicable this person is that he'll surround himself with other people, uh, you know, other to protect himself. He'll put others in front of him yeah. to protect himself. Just another facet of the the evilness that is. Well, this, uh, you know, I, I think guy. I think that we, I think that's an extension of what we already know about Raw, which is. He's basically a parasite. That's that's how parasites live. They're putting someone else in the way of their own mortality all the time. So there is an extra scene. Doctor Jackson is getting up and out of the uh, the cartouche um, that uh, has healed him. He's now alive, and he is walking through the the private chambers of Ra, and it comes to a scene where Ra is actually getting out of the bathtub. Okay, uh, and he's just been cleaned, and he's being you know. There's some extra scenes where he's getting dressed. Yeah, I, I saw this part on your out. TV, and it's definitely wow. Uh, Apparently, I don't need my notes anymore. No. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, that that was definitely a, a new scene for me as well. Um, he then explains that he's planning to send the bomb through with some of the mineral, and it's going to enhance the uh, the explosive nature of the bomb. Um, which, realistically, it's just going to blow up a mountain, and that'll be, you know, bad. Well, I don't know. We don't know how big that bomb is. And doesn't he say it's like a thousand or a hundred times stronger? I think a hundred times. So let's just think here. I mean, how big of a bomb would it have to be before making it a hundred times stronger would be pretty devastating to life on Earth? Yeah, it's it's information we don't know um because we don't know how big that that initial bomb is. Right, but what I'm saying is how big would that initial bomb have to be? Uh and so, somewhere out there. I'll I'll send it to you before we post this podcast. There is a website where a guy has gone through and calculated, okay, this many megatons of of bomb was actually set off at this location. Sure. I think I've, I think I've seen, and he shows like the the coverage area of how much destruction that would mm-hmm. would happen there. So I'm, I just you know let's let's post it and let's make it part of something that people can look at and go hey. So then let's work backwards and say okay he's he is confident that 100 times more is going to basically wipe out life on Earth because he says I created your civilization civilization now I'm going to destroy it. Yeah I. Uh... I mean, he can't possibly know how big 
the Earth civilization. He can know how big the Earth is. is. Sure, he might, but he's he still doesn't know how 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 much the the population has spread around the planet. No, but he could know how how much explosive he needs to basically obliterate the physical object, the Earth. Um. Yeah, I think we're stretching it though. Okay. I I don't I don't see this. I mean. Granted, let's uh, you know pull out the website. I'm I'm pretty sure we've talked about this website before because you can set uh, it. It talks yeah. about how you can set it off in different areas, uh, maps, and it'll show the yep. the area that it'll end up affecting. Yeah. Um. Blah, 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 blah. Um. Raw as a being. Maybe this is just me, but I would say she's very androgynous. Neither particularly masculine nor particularly feminine in physical appearance. Part of me thinks that that's just that actor. I know, but I'm saying I wonder if that was... They didn't comment on that at all as nope. far as... Okay. I, wa- I wondered if that was done on purpose. Like, they picked this guy because he is so androgynous looking. They didn't mention anything. Okay. It's possible still, though. Okay, um, the execution of friends. Ra is saying, hey, you're either going to kill these people or I'm going to wipe out this entire civilization. You know, kill your friends or I kill all of the rest of these things here. Which I don't think you you should ever trust or believe what the evil villain is telling you. He's always going to be lying to you. But... Dr. Jackson, <laughs> Dr. Jackson is he's going to have to make this decision. What's he going to do? Thankfully, Scara comes along, you know, shines a light at him, indicating, you know, hey, we're here to help or, you know, something. And uh, they manage to make their escape. And um, one of the deleted scenes shows that um, O'Neill and Jackson get onto one of those beasts, um, the the Mastage, and they ride off, but they ride off in this weird direction, and they get caught in a sandstorm. Okay. And they almost die, but the shepherd boys, which the riders, that's what they call those kids, actually go through and, you know, try and find them and they you know they hear the sound of the animal and so they they follow it because the animal likes or has this connection with dr jackson that it sticks around and that they save their lives and they then make their way to that cave that they uh, that the normal movie just shows where they're all together one of the things i thought was weird about that scene is how the boys shoot straight up in the air. They don't shoot at anything. Uh-huh. First of all, wow, they sure figured out guns pretty handily. <laughs> Nobody accidentally got shot in the process of figuring out how those things work. But uh, they, they don't shoot at anything. They're just shooting up in the air. Just According to the, to the writers, it's the, the goodness of what these little boys are. These you know these teenagers. I see. They don't is, want to hurt anything. They don't want to shoot at or potentially endanger anybody else. But Roz, right there. I I, <laughs> I don't disagree. I, I really don't. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. O'Neill is uh, despairs completely. 
and explains why he just wants to die. Um, then, uh, let's see here. We get to see, ooh, the force weapon. Yeah. Which the, looked really pretty cool. It was kind of cool. Um, so it's this weapon that uh, um, he puts onto his hand and it generates this force and it throws one guy across the room and then he eventually goes up to him and holds it up against his head. And fries his brain. Fries his brain. Apparently, you know, adding all of the, the pressure of, you know, whatever it is that uh, that force is. Um, a very neat weapon. So I, I made a note here. I don't know if they talked about this at all in the commentary, but it is unclear at this point whether his soldiers are strictly humans or are other members of this parasitic race living inside humans. Mm-hmm. Did they talk about that at all? Not at all. Okay. Because that is uh, we know from the show that's a thing that can happen. TV show, but yes. I I just think it's not clear. It's entirely possible that these guys are what we later come to call Guauld. If yep. I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just don't know, and and I want to know. I want to know: Are these guys Guauld, or are they just humans who have relied on Ra for so long that they've risen up in the power structure there? Um, I don't know that they relied on him, but they serve him. You know, they're his servants. They're his muscly, muscly servants, not his sweet, innocent children servants. <laughs> um, Daniel finds out that he's actually uh, married to Shouty, and he's very happy. Um, eh, let's see here. Oh, they skip to the uh, the sandstorm um, after you know. They they close off the curtain and you know the man and the woman are gonna get yep. together and they have the scene <laughs> of sand dunes and sand blowing around. Love it. Love that they didn't feel the need to belabor that scene. Yeah. Doctor Jackson, though, the next morning eventually figures out what the seventh symbol is uh, for this planet, and it's three moons um, rather than just the single moon. And so now he has a way to get these people, everybody home right. because of this. Um, the gods are proven to be false um, as uh, the Colonel O'Neill attacks one of them, kills him, and then shows... Daniel shows. Oh, yeah, Daniel shows um, the uh, the leader, Kasuf, um, that these look at are... Look your gods. These are just human beings here. They're, they're, they're tricking you. Here's my question. Why, you you imagine you're Colonel O'Neill. Why would you not take that super awesome power armor? <laughs> um, oh yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know. Maybe I, because you know, how do you explain <laughs> you know this guy that's you know coming along? I don't know. Well, I, the, I'm not the, even gonna try and. Guess. They know that know. that caravan is gonna take all that mineral back so that it can be put with the bomb. I think that I would put on the power armor and just be trotting along. You know, here I am, this guy that was wearing this power armor. I'm one of the guards, and you're not, you know. And then when that scene comes where they are ripping all the hoods off, as the guard, he could just say, oh, leave them. I guess he can't speak that language, so he can't do that. But <laughs> still, I think I would totally be tempted to take the power armor. How would you react, though, as, you know, this person who's believed in, you know, this deity or the, the, you know, this powerful thing, their God, it is their God. And all of a sudden these newcomers come along and, you know, rip away the sheeting and say, no, look, they're normal. They're just like you and I are. 
how would you react? And it's got to be devastating for that culture yeah. to suddenly say, oh my gosh, this thing that we have believed in and, you know, worshipped and feared, feared and uh, served for so long really isn't all that powerful. And it's a little bit different, you know, because when you have a religion, a lot of it is kind of ethereal, right? Right. God isn't right here. He's not coming down every third Wednesday uh, to talk <laughs> Take to our you children guys, and <laughs> you know, whereas this is very much, you know, there's uh, a very real presence. Right. Right. But I, you know, I don't know how much we want to talk about this tonight on the podcast, but I would say to me, that's one of the things about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that is so powerful is our belief that God very much is like us. Mm-hmm. And that we are we are his children in in a very literal sense that our spirits are descended from our Father in heaven. Uh huh. And so it it would not be that shocking, I don't think, for me to me for somebody to say, "Hey, look, guess what? God's just like you." I'm like, "Yeah, so that's what I've pretty much <laughs> believed for the last twenty years." Uh, right, right. That's true. That's true. It would probably be, I mean, for uh, uh, us and our religion, it would be something different. Yeah. It would have to be something different to be that shock. Yeah. Um, so there's a big fight um, <laughs> as uh, things, you know, start uh, going back and forth. Um, and uh, so they take they take all the material back, right? And then the big door shuts. Is that where you are? Yeah. The big door shuts, and fighters are launched from the spaceship. And I swear, as the fighters launch and are wheeling back around to come out at the people that are trapped outside Kowalski and Scar and those people I swear one of the kids shouts pew 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 <laughs> I don't know what he's really saying but I don't know he sounds like he's saying pew 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 <laughs> no I, I know what I think I know what you're talking about uh, it's mew oh okay <laughs> um, yes gosh that would be so terrible if the, if the real line was pew pew <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be terrible. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, Showery is shot, and Dr. Jackson wants to save her. Um, and so he's going to take her up to to the uh, the pyramid. Um, O'Neill and the warrior, they fight. And, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> going. As a matter of fact, that's got to be kind of tough is, you know, Dr. Jackson beams up. And the thing that beams down all of a sudden is right there in front of your face. And it's like, oh, crap, I've got to well, now fight this guy. And, in fact, he had had his back turned because, you know, Dr. Jackson's like, I'll be back in a minute. And he's looking back at the bomb going, I don't know if you've got a minute, dude. <laughs> uh, so he puts her through everything. Um, Showery lives. And then there's a final conflict between Ra and Dr. Jackson. Yeah. And um, it is... I really like the back and forth between these two guys in all of the scenes. Um, I thought that it was the dynamic between them. Yes. Yeah. I'm with yes, you. It was very, very well done. Um, okay. So O'Neill finally beats the guy <laughs> and you get one, the one real big gory scene in the movie. Yes. And you actually see the head, the yep. severed head and i I assume that's anatomically correct uh, according to how a, a head would look, you know, the neck that's exposed. 
But the thing that I hate so much is that line. As he slams his hand his hand down, he says, "Give my regards to King Tut, asshole." Oh, okay. Which is a stupid line. It is so dumb. Okay. And the writers are like, "Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> it, it, that's kind of what you did back then. Yeah. Sorry, everyone." It's like yippee ki yay you know? I mean, you, you got to have that def- moment of defiance. <laughs> anyway, the bomb is still ticking, um, and uh, um, I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 bomb is sent up, and yeah. So actually, before the bomb is sent up, the all the other civilians or the other humans revolt. Yeah, they rise up. They do, and Ra basically just says, "You know what." Screw it. I'm just abandoning the whole thing all over again. Uh, it made me wonder, how important is this world really? Does he, Are there other worlds where that mineral is made? Because that is the argument that's made at the beginning is, oh, this is the stuff that the Stargates are made out of. If this is really such a rare m- mineral, he's got a plan on coming back at some point and reclaiming this place because his whole technology is based on it. Yep. Yep, agreed. Um, so Bra's destroyed, and nuclear waste is going to fall all over everyone <laughs> nope. for the next. Uh, you it's know. not because for some reason <laughs> everything's incinerated, completely destroyed. Not, not that, but the shockwave moves in a two-dimensional plane. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. Uh, but the, the, it's unclear to me why. In the last few seconds of Ra's life, we can see the alien through the human skin. It is not the alien coming through, but it's the alien that we're seeing. I mean, that's the real creature that controls. I get that. I'm just, I don't know why it, like, like the face starts to shine blue and we can see through the human skin into the alien underneath. I don't know. It's weird. It's just a you know, call back to the fact that this is not another human being. That's I, I guess maybe because alien. then it makes the act a little more impersonal. We've othered Ra for def- definitively right before we blow him up. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, so da- Dr. Jackson is going to stay? Yep. Originally it was going to be O'Neill that stayed and blow up the Stargate, but now it's Dr. Jackson who's going to stay behind. Uh, yeah, and O'Neill and Jackson have, you know, they're friends now. And, uh, you know, there's a connection between the two of them. Um, Anyway, that's the end of the movie. Goes, you know, zooms out to the the Stargate wormhole um, and the movie ends. And they very specifically put up the title, The End, (laughs) because they said, we just felt like it really needed to be The End. It's all over. But part of me, now that I know this little bit more about the, the Showtime thing, it kind of seems to me like they were thumbing their noses. At the well, studio. maybe they were aware. They became aware of what the studio had done, and so they were <laughs> just trying to say, "Oh, screw you!" Yep. <laughs> uh, the end. This is it. No more. This can't be anymore. Anyway, um, yeah. So that is end of movie. Okay. We have listener comments. Yeah. Um. We had several people write in, and uh, you know, some left a comment about the movies, some didn't. We'll go to Brainy first. He says, "Now that's what I call a '90s flat top." Kurt Russell. <laughs> this movie, I think, kind of holds up, and the franchise it launched 
is some of the best sci-fi TV. I also love how the work of Von Daiken was a plot point. Those crazy Egyptians really did have a weird and wacky sense of star alignment. This movie paved the way for journalists like Graham Hancock to propose ancient alien ideas without getting laughed out of the room like a shaggy James Spader. Although Hancock still got banned from TED Talks. Overall, a great movie that I loved as a kid and still do. 8. Later, dudes. What's top five next time? Yay for everyone, Ambassador Brainy Snarf. I don't know what top five is. Stop asking me. Um, he makes a comment. I think this kind of holds up. Do you agree with I that? I do. I do. So far. You know, it's been 20 years. Uh, Yeah, it really kind of has, hasn't it? Yeah. Boy, they should do a reunion. <laughs> uh, I, I think for the fact that it has been 20 years it, it held up pretty well for me okay yeah I'm with you I, I think it's absolutely fantastic uh, let's see here let's go to Bob get out of the way uh, he says I have recently started to rewatch all of the SG-1 um, on Netflix the early episodes are of such wonderful quality it really does help that this is set in present time, meaning that the build that building the universe is far more organic and easier for the average audience. The movie came out at a time where I had a huge interest in ancient Egypt. I had just visited the British Museum to see all the artifacts that the British had pilfered in the early part of the 20th century. So it was the perfect movie for me. I would call it a cause of the most under-assuming movie ever. Sorry, I would call it a case of the most under-assuming movie ever. It has such a slow build-up which ramps up to a fantastic finale and some wonderful performances from James Spader and Kurt Russell. These are characters that go on a journey. They aren't the same people at the end as they were at the beginning, as well as figuratively, through the Stargate. Yeah, that was one of the things that the, the writers talked about, the journey that they took and the, the different scenes where there would be conflict back and forth um, and even how, you know, towards the end it was, okay, we're finally now coming together and we are now different people because of this. Mm-hmm. The DVD has a director's cut and adult novelization brings in a lot of wider character development, which I think would have made it a poorer movie. It makes it too long as it doesn't have the zip of theatrical cut. A standout part of this movie is the score by David Arnold. He also scored Independence Day, Godzilla for Devlin and Emmerich and more laterally has composed music for the Bond films and the BBC Sherlock series. Really? I believe that a sequel is in the works, which I hope doesn't go ahead. Yeah. The series really broadened this universe that I really don't know where they could go. I give this movie a 9 for action, entertainment, and music. All the best, Bob. Um... 
yeah, I uh, really, really hope that they don't end up making. <laughs> I just want them to leave this alone. Yeah, this is of... a phenomenal film. It definitely holds up, and you're not going to make it better. And even you know, combining it with what happened with the rest of the Stargate universe, you know, all ten seasons of Stargate SG One, you know, all four seasons of Stargate Atlantis. Um, and then they had Stargate Universe uh, or University or something like that. <laughs> Stargate University. I can't remember what it was. Universe. Um, and I think there was even a cartoon at some point that was a Stargate. Uh, no, really? As well, I think there was. I think there was. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> so I want them to just leave it alone. Yeah. It's great. I actually that was that has been my the core of my reluctance all these years to get into Stargate SG One is I love this movie so much and I just I worry what a 10 season TV show is going to do to the core of the show that I have so much love for. I love SG1 uh, unabashedly. I thought it was fantastic. Um but it didn't stay with um Showtime. I think it eventually ended up on Sci-Fi. sci-fi. Yeah. Um which, you know, even but back then it wasn't as bad. It, they you know Story it wasn't, still it wasn't was important. <laughs> okay, let's go to listener M. He says, I am very interested to hear your movie discussion this week. It will be an interesting departure from your other movie podcast, where instead of talking about fiction movies, you are going to talk about a nonfiction documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my listener gosh. M, you're awesome. It will be interesting to hear what the intern discovered about the Stargate in his fact-finding prep work. <laughs> I think it is great. Um, I, I think it is great that benign aliens visit our planet to help us humans along in our quest for intelligence and progress. <laughs> Television eight, sci-fi eight, religion seven. <laughs> well, here's hoping you can all get back to regularly recording again later. M. P.S. Have you thought about watching Steven Spielberg's Taken? Uh, I don't think I know enough about that one, so okay. I don't know. I don't think that lasted very long. I don't know. I I have it on my computer. Haven't I watched the first episode? I didn't finish it. Yeah, not sure at all. Um. Yeah, so for you, yeah, it's clearly a, a winner of a movie, right? Absolutely. Yep, I gave it a nine. Okay. Um, I love it. I don't think I'm going to bother to give it a rating. It just is spectacular, and I love it. It's too good to be rated. Yes. That's what Pete said. Um, not really sure which what we're going to do next. I don't know if we're going to try and squeeze in a, a poetry podcast, but I, I think I'd like to. Um, I wouldn't mind doing a um, another movie podcast. Um, but we are jumping into Breaking Bad, so uh, you know, do whatever you need to to you know get involved with I, that. I, I had an alternate proposal. I'm not saying I don't want to do a poetry podcast because you know I'm always up for a poetry podcast. Sure. But I thought I was watching Ethics in America the other day, which I know okay. you've enjoyed as much as yep. I have. And I thought it might be kind of interesting to do an eth- an episode of Ethics in America with Trek West Five. Uh-huh. Where you're the moderator and let's get a couple people on here and Oh my god, that seems like way too much work. Just use the questions that the uh, just take an episode of Ethics in America and let's have the same conversation. Oh man. 
Uh, I'm just thinking of the logistics of having to watch something, get all of the questions down. If I wrote down all the questions for you and I arranged for all the panelists to be here, all I need you to do is read the questions. What do you even need me for anymore? That's all I need you for. I'm just a voice. (laughs) But you're such a sultry voice. Uh, Yes. Uh, okay, let's call it quits, and uh, hopefully we'll get this podcast, uh, you know, put out there sometime. I'll say I'm sorry, she'll say it's not your fault, or is it? She'll eye me suspiciously. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242.